about ancient history is wrong. The Egyptian pyramids at Giza are undoubtedly one of the most, if not the weirdest structures on Earth. They are full of secrets that have not been exposed. Who built these incredible structures? Was it really the ancient Egyptians? What's the speculation? There are realms of science that sit outside of our understanding. We'll know more tomorrow in 10 years, in a thousand years about science. There is evidence of techniques and tools that we use that simply do not match the things that we find in the archaeological record. It goes so much further than the pyramids to me. We're looking at the remnants of a lost civilization. We say they're tombs, and Google might say they're tombs, but there's very, very little evidence that they're tombs, almost none. Everything you know about ancient history is wrong. Mm. What? And we've got a roadie from Metallica here to explain <laughs> it to you. Let's go. Okay, give it up right now for Ben. Ben Kirkwood is in the building. We've got up, him here. Okay, Ben, I'm so excited. I've been talking to you and then stopped talking to you the entire morning that mm -hmm. you've been here. Um, I want to bring people in. Obviously, people are familiar with the pyramids. They see these great structures. They go, oh, this is amazing. They've heard people say, oh, the aliens built them, etc. Can you just break down why the pyramids are so amazing outside of just the visual stimulus that we've all seen in postcards? Well, yeah, I mean, the reality of them is probably stranger and more interesting than anything people can think up in terms of fiction. It's just they're... They're for the longest time have been not only like the tallest man-made structure, but they've been some of the most precisely man-made structures we've we've ever accomplished. Like we didn't, uh, it wasn't until like the 1700s that we even developed enough precision to be able to define just how accurately those things are aligned to things like True North. Uh, we're still discovering crazy coincidences about them in terms of. You know, they're, they're encoding uh, these fundamentals of nature. Um, the Great Pyramids, like a, it's a, I can talk about it a bit, it, it's a scale model of the Northern Hemisphere. It's Wait, just like... What do, you, what do you mean by that? Well, there's... there's Let's there, break down the, some the, of the precision. Sure. So it's it, the, the Great Pyramid, it's, it's... I mean, mostly that's the one that's been studied. We actually haven't done a whole lot of studying on the other pyramids. It's something that's... Severely lacking. Uh, in, fa in fact, we've not even cleared off the bases of some of the other pyramids up at Giza. It's it's crazy. We still to this day haven't done that. But that pyramid itself, the Great Pyramid, the one that we all know and, and look at, the biggest one, it's aligned to True North within just you know a fraction of a of a of a degree off. I mean, there's we just don't build with that type of precision even today. The, in fact, the only building we made uh, that was that precise was like an observatory in France that was the first one we ever made that even came close to that degree of precision. They made that in the 1800s. Um, that's just one aspect of it, though. It's yeah. it's insane, apart from it being just the tallest building for forever until the Eiffel Tower was built. So so the traditional historical narrative is that these were built, what, 4,500 years ago? Something like that, somewhere around the 2,500 B.C. So, realm. So, so they build this in 2,500 B.C., and mm -hmm. then it takes us until 1,800 yeah. A.D. in order to build something taller. Taller. Yeah, just and, taller, not even as precise. Yeah, not nowhere near as precise. Four thousand I mean, years nothing. later, forty-five yeah. hundred years later, whatever it is. So you yeah, can understand yeah. why people start to question the historical narrative. Well, it, it falls apart under any rudimentary examination. Just the logistics of trying to build that thing alone. So you have to the way that they. There's very little evidence that actually ties it to the guy they say who built it. It's a guy named Khufu, who's like a, a pharaoh of the fourth dynasty, old kingdom. And he lived, they have to try and tie it to, well, because the whole story is like it's a tomb for him. So, you know, when he came to power, he probably said, we're going to build this thing as my tomb. So they had to get it done inside of his reign. Right. So that sort of pins it to like, well, 20 to 25 years. Okay. So you can break it down from there. Okay. And say, well, the, it, it weighs like 5 million tonnes. 
And, <laughs> no kidding. And it's it's like two. And it's made up of around two, somewhere between two and two and a half million blocks of stone, weighing, you know, any of it like two, three tons. Some of them, some of the big granite blocks on the inside weigh like 70, 80 tons. That it's insane. But, and these blocks but, are coming from quarries that are some of them. Yeah, the granite came from quarries that are like a thousand kilometers away to the south. They had to be shipped up. The, a lot of the limestone, so it's made up of granite in the inside. The outside is uh, two types of limestone. The, the core masonry is this limestone. A lot of it did come from Giza, not all of it. There's actually nowhere near enough quarrying to make up for all of it. The Cairo area and then the outside casing stone is something called Tura limestone. It's a very fine white uh, version of limestone that came from a, a fair distance away. But you can break it down from there. So if you go, well, it's 25 years, two and a half million blocks of stone, it basically means you, for 25 years, you have to be putting one p- block of stone in place, finished, shipped, carved, quarried, put in place every five minutes, mm. every day for 25 years. Mm. 24-7, non-stop. 24-7, non-stop. And now that, that... No union hours. No union hours. <laughs> yeah. Overtime. Yeah, no, no breaks, no whatever it is. I mean, it, it's crazy. And that, that is only the pyramid. And you've got to remember also, pyramids are part of a, a complex. There's... There's two other pyramids there. And well, then no, there's like three little... There's a bunch, yeah, there Life was like pyramids. nine or ten there yeah. uh, originally. But there's just that one pyramid. It's not just when you build these pyramids that they're, they're part of a complex, not the other pyramids, but they have a causeway. They have these, they call everything's a temple or ceremonial, but there's, yeah. there's temples. There's years of work just in preparing the ground, the whole foundation of what's around the pyramid. I, I love going to Egypt and showing people, everyone stands there and they look up at the pyramids. I'm like, look down at your fucking feet. Look at what you're standing on. You, there's these massive floor tiles that have been put into the ground. Some of these things weigh up to like 200 tons. And, oh, they're, wow. and they're fit together like a geometric puzzle and done so precisely you can't stick a razor blade in between the gaps. I didn't know that. Oh, it matched, I didn't it's pick insane. up on that at all. So you're saying that they dug down mm-hmm. and then created a flat surface. A foundation. And then tiled the foundation. Yeah, with these, but, but some of these, t- I mean, you're talking tiles this thick, some of them even bigger. In fact, the, the middle pyramid is even more impressive in that regard uh, because it's built into a side of a hill, like it's literally a sloping hill. So they, they dug down on this side and they raised it up on this side. They made this flat platform for it. And it's, a, it's just astonishing engineering. So you've got to factor in, and of course, these types of projects, you don't just make it up as yeah. you go along, right? So how long does it take to design <laughs> it, plan it, yeah. Yeah. put the plan, is, that's years. Doing the foundation work, that's probably years. You have to make sure there's enough stone to oh, even achieve it. Just logistics is this massive problem. I actually would love to do the exercise of working backwards because we've done some experiments on things like, okay, using really primitive methods, which is what, you know, the mainstream guys say they used, it takes this long to cut stone. And we've done a few little experiments here and there, but you can use that and work backwards, try to estimate how many cuts of stone do we need, how long would that have taken, how long is it going to take to ship this ship? Oh, that's right. You can see based on, what is it, axe and chisel or whatever it is? Yeah, chisels. So, well, this is the thing. Hammer and chisel? The stupidest thing about it it all is is you see these wonders of ancient Egypt, the pyramids, these giant granite single-piece statues and, and columns, and they tell you that it was all made with round balls of stone and flint chisels, just like repeatedly bashing on, yeah. on them. Mm. So let's or like assume grinding it was. on them with sand. But like. let's assume it was. You could wow. calculate. No, no, no. But even yeah, if yeah, we were to, like, you could calculate how long it would take to take that round stone yep. and the chisel yep. and chip away and create these perfectly 
I don't, I don't, I don't, they're not even symmetrical, but like these perfectly shaped, you know, uh, Which blocks. You, blocks. You wouldn't even be able to get them perfectly symmetrical, but even, right. even as close, yeah. as, you, as, close you as, could, as you could. You could how long it would take. Yeah. And have you tried you to could. do that math? No, but it's on my list of things to do. In particular, I'm interested in like the granite as well because Why? that's... Because the granite's so hard to cut. Granite's so hard. There's a few things involved in the granite. It's... It's, you know, they, they say, well, they, gr they grinded on it with sand and, like, yeah. they get a copper bar. And, and we've done these experiments. It takes, it's much harder. Like, that's the other thing that people try to compare, like, the work of the Romans and a lot of times the Greeks. They all worked yeah. in marble. Like, this is yeah. a very, very soft stone relative to granite. Like, yeah. frankly, granite's a stupid material to try and do this stuff. <laughs> it's so, it's harder than steel. It's, yeah. it's like a 6.57 on the Mohs scale. You know, mm. diamonds at a 10, your fingernails at a 2, copper's at... Three bronzes are four, steel's right. like a five and a you know six. What is yeah. marble out of curiosity? Marble's like I think it's like a, a three-ish. So this is theoretically twice as hard. Yeah, it's just a super no, I mean, super hard. You had mentioned uh, like like molecular manipulation. Yeah, so that's the speculation realm, but it does it does to me and and this you can see a bit more of that. I think you go like South America because they a lot of the the real megalithic stuff in places like Peru. And just that's, so we can define megalithic. A yeah. megalith is just a giant stone. Giant stone walls, yeah. I call stuff that's megalithic is, I would define it as like, yeah, walls and structures made up of massive single pieces of stone, yeah. typically showing signs of precision in how they're built and yeah. just perfect alignment. Like making these sort of mortarless walls is not easy. Like we yeah. don't do that today. Like this yeah. is what, you know, mortar so between So I think this blocks. is one of the cool things that you've exposed and a lot of your contemporaries have exposed is that ancient history isn't studied by... Um, arch what is it? it is uh, architects? Do you no, know what I mean? And engineers, engineers. right? Yeah. Like so, so they're applying these ideas and principles to the information that they have, but they don't know what the fucking Mohs scale is. So right. they're finding some tools and they're seeing some locks and they're going, okay, this is how they probably chopped up the rock. And in their and mind, then, engineering is limitless. It, you can do whatever, whereas exactly. an engineer would be like, no, you can't. Well, an engineer shows up yeah. and then it looks at the granite yeah. and goes, wait, they did what with yeah. the granite? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the engineers that come along, and in a lot of cases, this the whole, like, all of the problems that come up with that orthodox story when it comes to engineering topics, that's been raised by engineers. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's a strange thing to me. It's like you wouldn't ask an archaeologist to, to design the chair that he's sitting on, right? Yeah, yeah. But if it's an ancient chair, he's going to claim domain over it and dominion over it and say, I'm the expert, I don't care what you say. Yeah. So a lot of that happens. And that's not to say they haven't tried to make studies into it. And I've, that's part of my work. I dive into these studies and kind of tear them apart for, because they're ultimately really silly. And when you go to Egypt, you take engineers, construction experts, architects, people look at it and they just see it immediately and go, this is nonsense. Yeah. Like, you know, this isn't a, the work of a primitive civilization or a Bronze Age civilization yeah. with simple tools. And then, yeah, you come, come back to the pyramid and, and when you start to realise, like, there's so much more involved in this. That there's evidence of this, of the people that build it having you know, cosmic knowledge, having uh, a knowledge of the planet, the dimensionality of the earth to a crazy yeah. degree. Like, so if you take the, here's an easy statistic. If you take the height of the Great Pyramid, you multiply it by 43,200, you get the polar radius of the earth. So what does that the, mean, polar radius? So from the centre of the earth to the North Pole, okay. polar radius. If you take the perimeter length of the Great Pyramid, you measure around the perimeter of it and you multiply that by 43,200, you get the equatorial circumference of the earth. So the, mm. the length of the... the uh, of the of the uh, <laughs> right of of you know the the, the equator. So it's forty three thousand two hundred. So 40, this is this gets into Randall Carlson territory. It's, it's a it's a four three two seven two, you know seven. It's it all relates back to um, uh, I guess the 
cosmic sort of cycles and all of these processional numerology when you talk about, you know, procession of the equinoxes, are you familiar with this no. term? So it's the great year. You know, right now we're in the age of Pisces. It's that 26,000-year cycle that's defined by where the sun rises on the, on the, uh, on the solstice mm-hmm. and it's like under what constellation does it rise. So right now we're in the age of Pisces. Uh, we're, we're transitioning into, there's a whole song about this, you know what the next age is? Aquarius. Aquarius, ah. the age of Aquarius, right? And in fact, there's references in the Bible yeah, about this. It literally, this, and think about it, like Jesus kind of represents the age of Pisces in a lot of ways. Oh, I that's mean, look at people. they have the fish on the back cars, of the car? Yeah, have the Jesus fish on the car. It's always a giggle because it's like, okay, it's Jesus, but you're actually, you're, you're, it's an analogy for the age of Pisces that we live in. And, you know, he was, um, you know, he, he was a, he, part of his disciples were a fisherman. He fed people with bread and fish. Uh, the age before Jesus, 2,000 years ago, was the age of Aries, the ram. So think about another biblical figure that existed Isaac. in the old mm. time. Well, yeah, Moses as well, right? Oh, right. And he blew, he blew the ram's horn, mm. you know, um, and before that. I wonder if that was him trying to talk because he had a speech impediment. <laughs> yeah. so I wonder if, like, they thought it was a ram's horn, but he was just like, hey. Yeah, maybe. It just sounds like a ram's horn. Yeah. Yeah, it could have been. Yeah, but whatever, that's okay. It's yeah, Moses. Sense. Yeah. Yeah, well, and it goes further too. It's like you go back further and, and the age before that, another 2,000 years before that was age of Taurus the bull, so the sun's rising under the constellation of Taurus uh, on that spring uh, solstice. Um, and the story about Moses, do you remember what, what happened when he came down from Mount Sinai with the commandments from God when he was, mm-hmm. you know, what he found his followers doing? Yeah, worshipping Baal. Yeah, worshipping the golden calf. And he right. murdered all those motherfuckers yeah. and they smashed the idol up. It's sort of representation of age of Taurus is ending now we're in the age of Aries, now we're in the age of Pisces. And then there's a part in the Bible, I can't just going from memory, uh, it's, they're talking about Passover or the Last Supper and one of Jesus' disciples asked him, you know, what will we do without you, O Lord? Like what happens when you're gone? He says, you know, have no fear, go into town, find the man bearing a pitcher of water, follow him to his house and there you will find sustenance. So, you know, how is Aquarius described or shown? It's like a man bearing a pitcher of water, right? Mm-hmm. They're literally telling you. So this is, it's this cosmic knowledge that's encoded in these stories. Okay. And it's encoded in, in monuments like the, pyra- like the pyramid. It's, it's not, you know, it, it, they, it, they even have knowledge of the pyramid. It encodes the, the specific shape of the earth. By that I mean the earth being this oblate spheroid, right? We're a little bit fatter around the edge than we are around north-south, right? Because we spin. Yeah. So we're not a perfect sphere. That ratio, you'd call it the ratio of latitude to longitude. So if you take that grid of latitude and longitude, you spread it out on the planet, you go down to one quarter of one degree and you measure it so it's a little bit further sort of Mm east-west than it is north-south. That ratio of latitude to longitude is expressed in the pyramid. Oh, because there's, it sits on something, you know, I talked about the foundation, it sits on something, it sits on the foundation called the sockle. So it's, it's like they call it, it's a cubit height. It's about this high, sticks out about this far. So it gives you two ways to measure the perimeter length, right? You can measure the base of the pyramid or you can measure the base of the sockle, the sockle being slightly larger. And when you ratio or you compare, oh, you compare those two numbers, it's, longitude it's latitude. latitude and longitude. Wow. And bear in mind that we couldn't figure out how to measure longitude accurately in our own civilization until the turn of the, what, the, the, the 19th century. I think that's when it was. James Cook's second ver- voyage of discovery. We could not measure longitude to save ourselves until we developed chronometers and watches accurate enough to do so. And you're saying, at, according to the traditional archaeologists 4,500 years ago, yeah. and you believe probably much I th- longer, yeah. they knew... Yeah, 
So if we're accepting, we launched it in the knew the shape of the earth. Yeah. If we're accepting traditional archaeology, there's just all these crazy coincidences, yeah. and none of that. They had no idea that if you multiply, it's a longitude, longitude, and latitude. It, it's at lit- that it, time they just were not aware. They were not privy to this information. They, they, there's no proof to show that they were. They say it's a coincidence. All of these yeah. things you keep coming up with them because there's other. You know, there's some people make an argument that the speed of light is encoded in the damn thing. <laughs> you know, there's all these crazy golden ratios and metrics when you get into like the king's chamber and the geometry of that. Uh, it relates back to the meter. There's so many interesting studies about it, but it's generally all described and hand waved away as well. It's just. Coincidence, and it's like so you can find this stuff and you analyze anything. You're approaching this, and like a lot of people in your position are going, these are a lot of coincidences, and it might yeah. be easier to look at these people who built the pyramids as a different group of people than the dynastic Egyptians that lived, you know, 4,500 years ago. Exactly what I think. I, I think what we're looking at, and this it goes so much further than the pyramids to me. There's we're looking at the remnants of a lost civilization. And that was that, that left stuff. They might have left cultural knowledge. They might have left architecture and objects that were inherited by, essentially, a Mesolithic people that developed into a Bronze Age culture that we call the Dynastic Egyptians. I think we have a good understanding of the Dynastic Egyptian civilization. I, the tools that we found, you know, the, the way they lived their life. That's the job of the Egyptologist. And I think we're right about those guys. I just don't think you can say they made everything. And in fact, they themselves don't say that. Like their own history goes back 40-something thousand years. Like so, that, so when do you think they're made? Oh, I th- I, so it's, an, it's a lot of, I think, pre-catacly, a lot of this stuff, and I'm not saying the pyramids as they are, you do have to kind of look through all this stuff with the lens of, I need to preface this, because it's like there were thousands and thousands of years of renovation, reuse, rebuilding, adaptation, and then thousands of years of deconstruction, quarrying. Like they've literally been ripping stone off these pyramids for the last couple thousand years and selling it yeah. up until about 50, 60 years ago. Oh, wow. So it's just that, you know, you have to look at it through that lens and, and the Egyptians spent many thousands of years working on this stuff and renovating it, using it for their own purposes. But I think a lot of this stuff goes back to before the cataclysm, like the Younger Dries period, which we can, yeah. we can talk more about. But potentially goes back way further than that. If I'm going to speculate, I mean, hundreds of thousands of years, potentially 50, because, and and this is where it gets interesting because there's so many other vectors from modern science right now that that it should be affecting that story of history, right? The last 20 years, we've seen incredible advances in our knowledge base, not just the cataclysm stuff. To me, that's the key that kind of unlocks the whole picture, but even the history of the human race itself, right? We thought for the longest time, if you're, Creationist, 6,000 years, okay? But for the longest time, Victorian era, like, well, maybe it's 50,000 years as a species. Then once we start dating human remains, we get to like 190,000 years old, mm. like we found some stuff in Ethiopia. And then recently in the last Something couple like decades... Something like 300, right? Morocco, they found a, a, a modern anatomically correct... Yep, Morocco, you, 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 uh, you nailed it. And that's, that takes it to about 300,000 years old. That's still the oldest actual thing in the fossil record, but now we've got DNA studies... Uh, there's a study that's done recently that shows like we diverged, us and Neanderthals like diverged from a common ancestor somewhere in the 800,000 year old range oh, is what they're shit. guessing. And then the latest thing in the last couple of years, studies into teeth morphology, like the really nerdy studies into how teeth evolve and grow over time. And they're putting it back at 900 to a million years old okay, as so, a species. So, oh. so there is a chance that human beings have been here for a million years mm-hmm. in our current form. Yeah, and we modern, see, anatomically correct, yeah, humans. You could shave one down and put him out in the street. It's like and it looks Brendan like Fraser and, you know, Encino Man. Yeah. <laughs> now, yeah, that's crazy. Now, we see how much changes within 1,000 years. We see how much changes within 200 years. Yeah. Right? Like from the 1800s this to is, now. 
a lot fucking changes. Mm-hmm. So it is very possible there yeah. could be a civilization, civilization that pops up, uh, achieves uh, immense success, yeah. gets wiped out, happens again, like almost on some Matrix shit. Yeah, it's it's a cycle. I actually do think that's it's a long, uh, convoluted thing to get to about why this stuff's important. Is I do think there's a cycle almost of civilization and, and catastrophe or cataclysm, and we've been through it. All right, guys, let's take a break for a second, man, because we gotta get you to quit smoking. Stop smoking. It's these cigs, it's these vapes. They're horrible for you. They're going to kill you, and you got to stop it immediately. But I understand you probably got that oral fixation. Sometimes you just need to take a drag or something. It feels good. Trust me, I get it. And that's where fume comes into the picture. Look at this beautiful thing that I got right here. Hold up. Wait a minute. Fume has no tobacco in it. Think about that. Think about that. Absolutely no tobacco, nothing harmful, no potentially harmful chemicals, nothing. Fume using cores infused with plants like peppermint, cinnamon for delicious natural flavors. You take a pull, that crisp mint is just delicious, it's awesome, but you don't get the cancer. How nice is that? Look, this thing pops open, you got the little cartridge in there. I'm telling you, this is a revolutionary product. I believe this is gonna get millions of people to stop smoking those harmful vapes, harmful cigarettes. It's gonna save a lot of lives. This is Fume, you should try it out and I think that you'll like it, 100%. So the easiest way to stop a bad habit is to switch to a positive one and Fume is designed perfectly to do just that. It's Fume's goal to make switching easy and even enjoyable. They have thousands of five-star reviews from people just like you who have successfully switched when the other solutions just didn't work. So head to tryfume.com and use the code flagrant to save 10% off when you join the Journey Pack today. The Journey Pack comes with three unique flavors, a new version two fume to help kickstart your positive habits. That's tryfum.com. Use the code flagrant to save an additional 10% on your order today. Now let's get back to the show. All right, guys, we're gonna take a break for a second because it's March motherfucking madness and flagrant is getting down with this bracket syndrome and we're doing it with Run Your Pool, okay? You go to play.runyourpool.com slash flagrant right now now you join the brackets. We got free money if you win. Look at that. Run Your Pool is giving up 1500 okay? Divide by the top five winners. It's free for you to sign up. You just go sign up right now. You can win 1500 We're in it. Akash in it. Mark yep. in it. Alex in it. Miles in it. Dove in it. I'm in it. Jamil's in it. It's going down, okay? Play.runyourpool.com slash flagrant right now. You could win that free money. And to make it even more sweet, the winner, we going to double up that fucking money. Oh, shit. We going to double up that fucking money. Mm. Whoever wins the bracket, we're doubling up out of our part, okay? That's you. You go to play.runyourpool.com slash flagrant. Sign up right now. Let's get into this March Madness action, okay? It's another pool. It costs you absolutely nothing, and you can win real bread. Now, if you're trying to gamble, okay? Mm. If you're trying to put some real money down, if you're trying to get after it when it comes to March Madness, because I understand there's a lot of action going down here. It's very exciting. Always, always big betting. Big bets. It's very hard not to be emotional. You see your alma mater plan. You want to put some money down on it. But if you can be a rational better or 
Just say fucking throw caution to the winds. That's what I think. I think the beauty of March Madness is you don't even really have to know basketball. Yeah, you just college basketball. There's so many upsets. Just throw a fucking. Throw just put a few bucks down. Some, throw it out. See what ask I, your girl who's gonna win. Ask just your say girl. the name of the universities and be like, yo, who got this? Which sounds right. That's it. Go with it. And you know what's good about betonline.ag? What's that? What's that? You what's get that? free money when you sign oh, up. Oh wow! Look at that. Look at that. They match your initial deposit up to $1,000 by 50%. That's right. So if you put in 1000 you get 500 free Ooh. bucks. Why not run that on some March Madness? Go get some money, boys. Could you just explain, um, I think it was Robert Schock mm-hmm. had the theory about the Sphinx yep. with water erosion. That's right. And I think that kind of begins this conversation about Younger Dryas, right? Isn't yeah, that well, like- it, it begins, the, it, it, it ties it back to an era that is that happens to coincide with yeah the younger drives and also for that matter Atlantis and Solon's and, and Plato's story of the yeah. destruction of Atlantis. All of a sudden, and the dates start lining. They up. They really do. It's amazing. So so break this down. Sure. What is his theory? And so, the great. We shouldn't forget the rest in peace, John Anthony West. Oh yeah. So yeah, he, yeah. he and Robert Chalk. He's the guy who invited Robert Chalk. John Anthony West looked at it at the Sphinx. So the Sphinx, you know, it sits down at the end of the. There's a causeway connected to the middle pyramid complex. It's in this big. Enclosure. The Sphinx is not like a built thing. Like they they carved down into the ground, uh, and then they you know they shaped it out of bedrock. It's what it was originally what you would call a yardang. Yeah, it's a crazy name, but it's like this limestone outcropping that sticks up out of the ground. That was essentially its head. So they carved this big pit and they shaped this thing out of um, out of limestone, out of bedrock. So there's been a study done. So Robert Schock, who's a geologist, I think a professor of geology at the Boston uh, Boston University, if I'm not wrong went and looked at the erosion that is present on the enclosure walls. Now, the Sphinx itself has been repaired and worked on for, like, the Old Kingdom. There's, there's records of... There's another thing. The, the old, there's actually records of the Old Kingdom people fixing it when they supposedly built it, which is like, how does that make sense? <laughs> uh, the Romans did it. The New Kingdom guys did it. You know, our modern guys have done it. The British were working on it. So the Sphinx itself is hard to get those indicators. But the, the walls of the enclosure are, are untouched. So he went in and studied it, and, and he's looking at these vertical fissures and going, "That's rainfall erosion." Like, and but it's rain, it's it takes a tremendous amount of rain to create these vertical fissures in the limestone. And remember, we we're talking about the Sahara Desert; doesn't rain a whole lot. I've seen it happen, but you're talking about like a lot of heavy rain, thousands of years of it. Now, studies of the climate and the history of the region, we know that takes us back to you see you know, these types of fissures if, if you go to look at any of like the canyons yeah. in the United States of America, and I'm sure there's other places, but yeah. you see these cracks in the stone and yeah. that's exactly how it was described to me. It was like, this is water erosion, yep. sometimes heavy rain, or sometimes there'll be like water actually coming through the canyons, yep. but these are these vertical cracks that yes. exist in it. Fissures. And, yeah. or, sorry, yeah, vertical yeah. fissures. And um, so it was really cool when it was pointed out on the Sphinx and I'm like, well, where the fuck would the water come? from that would create these because it's intense amount of water that yeah, has to create. It's rain, usually super heavy rain. It's it's a different, if that was like filled up with water, you'd get a different type of erosion. That's a whole other thing. There does seem to be some evidence for that in some other areas, which is like, holy crap, because the, the evidence for mega floods in, in Egypt is there as well. But this specifically is like rainfall erosion. So that's where he dates it back to, you know, 10,000 to 12,000 sort of years ago, right in that period. Now, when he presented this, and if you, by the way, if you take that, an image of those fissures and that limestone wall and you present it to pretty much any geologist without the context of the of Sphinx. Saying, oh, yeah, this yeah. is the Sphinx enclosure. They're going to take... It's rainfall erosion. Like, right. the, even the arguments to this day, because they don't want to admit it, it's, they're really weak source arguments against 
shocks um, theory. But when he went and presented it, he kind of got laughed. He thought he was doing something that's going to really advance our knowledge base, but he kind of got laughed out of the room by the old boys' network. In fact, it was Mark Lehner who's like, like, show me the pot shards. What is this date of like 10,000 BC? Now, the funny thing about that is, is then along comes Gobekli Tepe because that's a site in Turkey, ancient site, discovered mid-90s by the German Archaeological Institute and um, Klaus Schmidt, um, he's like, try not to say Klaus Schwab. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Don't say that. Wrong Klaus. Um, Mm. Although, yeah, sadly, Klaus Schmidt has passed away too. But that site's been carbon dated and they know it was deliberately buried. It's bang on in in that... time period it's not very far away they built giant stone megaliths and and pillars and stuff that you know 10 20 tons there was a, a culture doing that at that time it's like the time is 9,000 years ago yeah well, no, 9,000 right? bc 9,000 bc so, so, so that is 11,000 11, years ago. ago yeah around that and, yeah. and there's not only go but now it's karahan tepe and all these tepes there might be dozens of sites now they're even bigger than go back so you know that there is an ancient civilization creating some cool megalithic shit yeah. around eleven thousand years ago yeah and then it just so happens if you look at egypt around eleven thousand years ago it was kind of wet right in that period yes there was there was rainfall erosion but you know look i've also i also know that it wasn't just that period and i know like shock has had to be pretty you know, political and 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 cautious in his estimates. Yeah. But I do know that he also does push it back further. Like if it, when pressed, I mean, he can go back for like 50, 60, 75,000 years old because, you know, there's other correlations with the Sphinx, the well, age of Leo. This okay, is where we explain get to, that yeah. one. So this is what I think is quite interesting. So let's just say we're operating in that like 9, 10, 11,000 yeah. year range. Yeah. The Sphinx, as we see it now, is this like lion that has a human's head. Yes. Right? But the head... Yeah. is too small for the body. That's crazy. And if you were a brilliant, uh, what are they called, a stonemason? Yeah, what would yeah, you call stone carver. Stone, stone carver. Like you're not going to make a mistake like that. If you're the same people that build the pyramids to exact proportions, yeah. Yeah. you're not going to have this tiny little head and be like, oopsie, I guess we didn't figure that one out. Yeah. So what a common theme is, is that they came across the Sphinx and it had a lion's head. Mm-hmm. And then which pharaoh chopped it up and made the human one? Yeah, we don't know. Well, it's it's attributed to Khafre, uh, this the middle owner of the middle pyramid, the son of of Khufu, the yeah. big pyramid, fourth dynasty. Uh, that's generally what they say. You're absolutely right about the uh, the head. When you go there and look at it, the head's too small. Yeah. And the Egyptians and they look, you know, they were master craftsmen and yeah. they built a lot. Of, they made a lot of statues, did a lot of work. Absolute masters of proportion. They just, yeah. I don't think they would have got that wrong either. Yeah. And there's a there's an interesting thing about that too. It's like this this story about the erosion because it goes back to the the you know the fissures on the wall in the enclosure. They say, oh, that's wind and sand erosion. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. this is what they say, and you're like, okay, well, if you give that thing 50 years, you know what happens, right? It it, does, it fills up to its neck in sand yeah, or its chest no in sand. Yeah, yeah. So when, how when, how long? Yeah, when we when we discovered the Sphinx, I don't know how long ago. Oh, we, yeah. I mean, Napoleon ran across. I mean, we knew it was there. It's, we've known about it for a long but time. When but it was, was buried discovered, forever. it was oh. buried up to the head. So they didn't even know it had the body. Uh, yeah, it's like this head sticking out of the. All ground. the pyramids too. Like they've had to excavate to get to the bottom yeah. of these pyramids. Mm. Oh right? yeah, to get to the actual bottom layers. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought I thought so. You're basically saying it was protected by sand. Well, it so, can't be eroded. So well, yeah, that's the thing. How long does it take for this to be exposed? For it to be. To, to get this wind and sand erosion on it. Yeah. And then you know what you don't see on the head? Wind and sand erosion. You don't see these vertical fissures. But that's the part of the Sphinx that's sticking that up above be, the sand that would be hit by wind and yeah, sand all yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what is this telling you? It's like, okay, so is, it, is, all of us, is this top, is this head just, it's the same type of limestone. I mean, it varies in layers. Yeah. 
but it's like this is this is way fresher. The head's way fresher than the rest. So of let's it. assume they did carve a head out of the lion's yeah. head, right? Yeah. A human head out of a lion's head. Yeah. Uh, and let's assume the Sphinx, like the pyramids, had some sort of astronomical connection. It does. Right? Yeah. It does. What does it line up with now? Well, now uh, I, don't, I actually I don't know. So it faces the sunrise, right? So yeah. it's it's. Well, I guess it's I guess it's Pisces. It's it's where the generally the way these goes in terms of the astronomical age or pointers. It's like yeah. the spring solstice or, or or it's you know it's, it's one of those dates where it's basically my astronomical question is, what was it ten thousand years ago? Age of Leo the Lion. So, so you have yeah. Uh, so it literally lines yeah. up as a it, marker. It's it like, lines up ten thousand years ago with we're talking about the age like the sun rises in. Now it's uh, Pisces. Pisces is going to be Aquarius, and the constellation that was fucking rising on was Leo. Leo. It's got the body of the Leo. Yeah. It's got this tiny little shrunken head. Yeah. Right. Which could have been carved out of a lion's head. Yeah. There's a lot of things that are making sense for this time. Question yes, about yeah. the head is the. So are there chisel marks as are, on it? are the chisel marks as precise on the Sphinx's head as they are in the rest of the pyramids? Good question. Because I mean, if they're imprecise, that would speak to the ancient a Egyptians less or less not having civilization, the yeah. technology. I don't think there's any of what I would call the advanced tool marks on the head of the Sphinx, no. What about uh, the unadvanced ones? Yeah, are they like kind of jagged? Yeah, not it's as similar. It's very similar to a lot of the work and the quarrying that you see. It's it's it, Because it's so big and it's... It's relatively rough. It's huge, right? But it's also limestone, which is much easier to carve than, than granite. Yeah. Um, but there's not, I mean, when you get into tool marks, maybe we can talk about that in a bit, but it's, it's like these, these tubular drills and the actual saw cuts, the circular yeah. saw cuts. You see all that stuff in basalt, granite, you know, diorite, the really hard stones. Yeah. Uh, you don't see it as often in limestone. Uh, that was much easier to work. I do think the, it was m very, very likely the dynastic Egyptians who recarved the head of the Sphinx. I, I 100%. And dynastic uh, Egyptians, for everybody listening, that's 4,500 years. From the start, yeah up, yeah, and, yeah, up until about 30 BC. So their civilization spanned like, you know, uh, a good 3,000 um, years yeah. thereabouts, like from like 20, yeah. 2,500 2500, to 3,500 to 30 yeah. BC with Cleopatra. Yeah. With the snake. Game over. Yeah, okay. Game over. Okay. So, okay. Now that takes us to the Younger Dryas. Right. So what the fuck is happening? Well, let first, can you explain to people why an ice age isn't like the movie? I think the <laughs> common perception yeah. for humans is when it's an ice age, everything in the world is completely frozen over. Nothing can live except right. a little squirrel with acorns. It's called yeah. the ice age. Yeah, and it makes well, sense. Yeah. We, well, we're in the fucking ice age. We're still in it. Like, we're yeah, in an interglacial period in an ice age right now. So if yeah. there's glaciers... It's 53 degrees in New York while we're filming this. Yeah. Ice Which age is, is actually fire. nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ice okay. ages are great. Well, yeah, it's not snowball Earth. Like, it's not this planet snowball idea. You know, millions and millions of years ago, there may have been periods like that. But no, ice age and the, with the glacial maximum refers to, like, when we had the Laurentide, the Cordarian and the European... Glaciers, you know, these two miles of ice that were sitting up on top of uh, the northern hemisphere of the planet. Uh, it was generally colder, but there were plenty of temperate zones and even tropical zones so along the equator. essentially it's a percentage of glacial ice yeah, that qualifies a time period to be an ice age. They, they generally go on, like, the extent of the glaciers. And so we can see from, you know, glacial till and the moraines and all of these geological features about how far the glaciers extended... Mm. Uh, you know, we would have been buried under a couple of miles of ice right here um, back, you know, in that period. But it's, it's you know, it's, it's also, you know, the sea levels were 400 feet lower because all that water's up on the land now yep. and all that mouth sea levels rise, all that stuff. And, yeah, so that abruptly ended. And, and so we've known, it's, it's kind of interesting, it's, it's all work that's happened in the last couple decades, really, 
that has has really advanced our understanding of what occurred at the end of that last glacial maximum because it was violent. Like that's the thing. We don't it, – it turns out it was tremendously violent. Like the, it, it, Again, so we understand this. The Younger Dryas is – the Ice Age or is the violent time? The, the Younger Dryas is essentially the boundary between what we would call the Pleistocene, which was the glacial, like the end of the, like we would generally call it the Ice Age, but that's the, the like the glacial maximum, and the Holocene, which is the era we're in now, this nice warm weather that's been pretty stable for, you know, 10,000 years or so. Like that's the, that's where we live. It's the reason, so this is the transition. It's the reason why we've got a civilization. Gotcha. The Younger Dryas is the transition point between that and it gets crazy wacky in terms of... So, we're so kind something of, happened 12,000 years ago. Yeah, 12,800 years ago. It's a period between 12,800 years ago and 11,600 years ago. And if you go back, it's, it's this tumultuous time. So we, we kind of have learnt this from ice core data. So we go and drill down in Antarctica and Greenland and we, we drill down because right down into the ice and you extract these big tubes of ice because every year you know, the snowfall gets laid down on there and it's compacted and you can do analysis on it and look at things like oxygen isotopes and determine temperature and accumulation of snow and all these different things about the past. So a similar thing almost like with trees and rings. Yeah, pretty much. You're doing that with ice. With ice. And you gotcha. can go back hundreds of thousands of years. So what we've learned is that something happened. Like we're coming out of this more or less warm, gentle, we're warming up from this, you know, glacial maximum. But then all of a sudden it just goes boom down to these severe cold for like you know, eight, seven, eight hundred years and then it's boom, jacked back up again by another event and then it's it's sort of, it's this gentle warming thing that gets us up to more or less the temperature we have now. Uh, but there's this really violent period in between called the Younger Dryas. It's, you go back further, there's, there's ups and downs as well, but the, the other thing that correlates to the Younger Dryas is this extinction event. We've known about that forever, right? We've, we've dug up mammoth bones and, you know, saber-toothed tigers and American lions and short-faced bears, like all these giant animals... It's not the dinosaurs, but they were here. Animals that exist now. Animals, well, no, it's no animals that were here, but only some twelve to thirteen thousand years ago. So it's the megafauna extinction. Think about the mammoths. Like some what people is a get megafauna a, for the people. Well, megafauna is like a, any mammal or large animal with a body weight. I think over like forty kilograms, so, so woolly eighty pounds. Yeah, Humans? woolly mammoths. We yeah. are megafauna. Yeah. Oh, us uh, too. Me in particular. Hundred pounds. Forty oh, kilograms. Wow, about 100 wow, pounds. wow, wow, wow. Definitely wow. megafauna. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so any that's the, yeah, 80 pounds-ish, something, 90 pounds, something like that. So, and, and the crazy thing is, as many species of megafauna that there are alive today, that's basically how many went extinct in a very short period of time, also in that Younger Dryas period, like 11,600 to 12,800. So Younger Dryas is not the event, it's the time period during that's which, you, after the event, yes. before things start to normalise. Yeah, so it's this, it's this period of time where it's this tumultuous time, we've got these crazy swings in temperatures, we've got these massive sea level, it's like these meltwater pulses where the, the sea level rises tremendously, very violently, and we've got an extinction event now. All tied into this one period from ice core samples, and now, since 2007, there's more than 160 papers that have also shown there was a cosmic impact at that time. Uh. So digging in that layer, so in that same layer in the dirt, you dig down in the strata layers, you can date all that stuff, where those megafaunal, megafauna bones are, a lot of the extinction bones at that same layer, that's where we find what you call impact proxy, so shock-synthesised shock nanodiamonds. What magnetic. does that mean? So it's basically the impact and it's the, it's the byproducts of extreme heat and pressure and like soot layers and carbon and like all of these different indicators of basically cosmic impacts, like these gigantic explosions. So this Whether, is what the Carolina Bays thing is. Well, the Carolina Bays 
may or may not. It, it seems like it ties into this event, but no. Right, this let's is, not go there then. Yeah, that's it's like a fall. It's almost like splash damage. It's Carolina Bays is yeah. just a, a byproduct almost of of a big cosmic impact. This is like the same. This is like just unimaginably violent events. These cosmic, either it's air bursts or it's huge impacts of stuff that's like a mile, two mile wide, mm. coming in at you know forty thousand kilometers a second kind of thing. And and just pounding into the earth, and then it creates these these uh, these tellers, these microscopic telltale uh, signatures like uh, magnetic carbon spherules, shock synthesized nano diamonds. There's a whole list of them. There's all these sci- a lot of these scientific papers that n- have now figured that out. Evidence of impact. It's they call it impact proxies. Yeah. So gotcha. it's the thing we don't quite have at craters. Now that's stuff that Randall is working on, but you've got to also imagine some of these impacts. They might not have all been impacts. They might have been air bursts. Um, there was a good. There what was is a, an airburst? So it's where it, it blows up it, before it hits the ground. It's kind so of it's, what we see now with like a, what is it? A shooting shooting stars, stars and stuff like that. Yeah, there was a big one in uh, Tunguska um, in Siberia. Yeah, that's the it's, Russian one. Yeah, yeah the yeah. Russian one. And but it, isn't like, that impact though? That's no, that's it was an airburst. They, they, it was an airburst. But and I it, thought it that flattened they, a giant area. It was only a tiny little rock compared to what we would. So it about. flattened an area despite it being an airburst. Oh yeah, think of think of like a big bomb going off. It's just a shockwave comes down and just goes. Oh, maybe you can even get a picture up of that to show it because it still hasn't even recovered. Yeah, in Siberia, right. Well, there's pictures of all these just trees locked down by by matchsticks, but, you know, like acres and acres of it. So so, so some people go, well, where are the craters if there's this massive impact? And what you're saying is you don't need a crater in order for the impact to have extreme damage. I well, that's right. So you'd still, you might have some remnant. It could have been an airburst. A a lot of people mistake the, um, the research. The latest research really shows it was a series of impacts. It was a or airburst. It wasn't just like one big one. There was a whole range of them. Yep. It's like I, an asteroid belt almost. It's actually, it was actually a disintegrating comet. This is a funny thing. So it's, it's a comet Enki. Now, this came into our solar system a long time ago. It's, it's been broken up. There's actually a <clears> – it's formed what's a, a meteor stream. It runs around the sun <clears throat> and loops out. And we cross through it twice a year. It's the, it's the torrid meteor stream. I think it's like – June and October. So we sort of cross in over it twice, right? I think Graham talked about it yeah. in his series. He does. And it's like we don't know if there's large chunks still in this. Like we do run into this same period and it's there's a lot related to that time period in October. The, the, the Chicago fires uh, of I think it's like 18 or 19 something, the, the, uh, the, the, the Great the, Chicago the Fire? The Great Chicago Fire. Was it started same, by a sorry. comet? It may have been an airburst and or it might have been a remnant or even a gas bubble that came in from something because it also on the same day you had the Pastigo uh, Forest Fire, which was like um, I think in, in southern Canada or somewhere like that. It's one of the craziest stories you'll ever hear because this huge area in the same time frame, this massive fire spread like like it's unimaginable conflagration as well as what happened in Chicago all in that same time period, the same time period when Tunguska hit, that same time of year when we're crossing this meteor stream. So it's like, you know, this is not always the, you know, these little shooting stars aren't always the friendliest of things. I think a lot of that ties back to to uh, to, to this meteor stream and potentially this, um, yeah, this, this, this event. This blew my mind a little bit when I was yeah. watching Graham's piece because... I think my perception is probably similar to most people, which is like there's been a couple comets that hit the Earth, like one or two every 65 million years, and then it's done. And then Mark showed me this picture of all the comets that have hit the Earth, right? He just sends me the picture. He goes, hey, look at this. And then I look and I go, wow, that's a lot of comets. And then on the bottom of the picture goes, since 1994. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought this was all that ever hit it. 
So, and I think it was, I don't know if it was you, but I know Rogan was messaging me about this too. Yeah, here's a, here's a picture. <laughs> 1984 to 2013. Just in 2013. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, 19 so, years? That's crazy. Yeah. So, so and Rogan said this as well to me. He's like, yeah, we're in a shooting gallery. and Cosmic shooting gallery. And it's yeah. better we don't think about things like this, by the way. True. It's yeah, better yeah. we assume it's just <laughs> a big to. one hits and then like, okay, that's why there's that little hole near Cancun and then the dinosaurs go Same away one. and then we're, we're back to normal. Yeah. It's better for the average person because I, I don't recycle as it is now. <laughs> but if you it told me matter. it's possible that next year we're going to get hit by some big shit, I'm not recycling ever. I'm not going to do a single good thing for the environment. Yeah, like, I was forget. thinking that. Like, I, I dude, these political arguments we have, like, how many genders are there? Have yeah. a million. Who gives a fuck? Yeah, yeah, it's over. <laughs> we're going to die <laughs> in four over, days anyway. It's over, baby. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so this this is happening between twelve and uh, yeah eleven thousand six eleven thousand years ago. So that's the, that's the younger driest period, right? So, and that's that is the that's the true key to me that unlocks the story of civilization. Because if that event happened today to us, our civilization is gone. If we survive it, we will be knocked back to hunter gatherers, and in a generation or two, we'll be sitting around the campfire, telling ghost stories about plasma TVs and dancing around with black shiny rocks <laughs> trying to turn it on and say, well, this thing will give you answer to anything and you can talk to someone on the other, you know, it's magic. Can you paint that picture a little bit? Like if Younger Dryas happens today, yeah, like what happens geopolitically? Like it does a wave come in? the entire world. Uh, it depends yeah. where it lands, what happens. I mean, if you're anywhere near the actual impact site or the areas, I mean, you're just gone. Every uh, every building Oh, gone. done. I mean, if you're anywhere near, it's just, just instantly disintegrated. The entire like, planet? Not, well, if it's big enough, I mean, that's the problem is that you go back far enough in these, these extinction events, I mean, some of them have eliminated like 99.9% .9 of Earth, yeah. of life on the planet. If that happens, it's game over. Like, we're back to microbes and let's start again. But it's, you know, <laughs> it's um, just it's, we're back to rats. It's whatever, whatever the hell crawls out of the pond the next time and give it a billion years and see where we end up. But it's... No, if, if something mediums or relatively small, younger dryas, I mean, that's an extinction event, right? It knocked humans around, knocked off half of the big animals uh, on the planet at, at the time, all of the woolly mammoths. I mean, there's there's literally anything near that event. We, we see this in some of the bones of these mammoth graves, right? It's absolutely crazy. Think about an elephant's femur, how much force it takes to break the femur of an elephant. There's There's literally... These elephants had their feet in mud and their, their leg bones are just snapped clean off and there's hip bones up near their heads and they're just jumbled up. There's whole, oh, ca there's whole caves. Oh, 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 I'm, I get what you're saying. You're basically looking at this skeleton and you've never seen an elephant skeleton being absolutely destroyed like destroyed. this. destroyed. And like, there isn't an animal big enough that's alive that's going to do it. It's not no. like there's some King Kong that's running around snapping elephant legs, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. It has ankle. to be, they're either falling off a cliff well, their, their feet are in the ground. Like, there's literally, they're, they're stuck, so their feet are still in this mud and then their bones are snapped off and they're all jumbled up. I mean, there's... Oh, so, the, so they're standing there and, and then they just, just got snapped. Like, this, this, yeah, this shockwave hits them. Yeah. In other places, there's all these megafaunas mixed up, bears and, and tigers and cats <sighs> and trees and just this, like, forest just all smashed up and jumbled together. They found like finds a like that. Like a landslide, but it's but it's much more violent. Like yeah. it's essentially, I think what's what you're looking at is these these things were hit by a shockwave yeah. as a result of this. Now, painting the picture, if it if it hits anywhere near an ocean or if it lands in an ocean, tsunami, tsunamis. Like they, so, you have these you know giant tsunamis moving at the speed of sound that might be half a mile high or whatever. It's just going to just water destroys everything, uh, knocks out all the cities. You probably have 
I mean, forget electricity and grids and stuff. I actually think this is why that some governments around the world are making these giant underground bases, which may have also been what happened in the past. Because That's what happened in Turkey, right? Well, Derinkuyu, yeah, but also Egypt. There's evidence for this all over the world. And, you know, there's all sorts we of strange stories. We have Colorado, the airport. Yeah, Colorado, exactly, the airport, yeah, the yeah. Cheyenne Mountain up there in uh, Colorado. That's like where NORAD is and everything. There's giant underground bunkers you can go. Yeah. I saw a TikTok of a guy driving a big-ass truck and you can just, like, huge cabins. And this isn't even conspiracy. This is known, no, right? Yeah, like, they they, it's like a doomsday bunker. Well, that they have. I don't know if you say doomsday, but, yeah, it's an underground bunker that's as big as, or twice as big as the airport or whatever. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. they can hold, like, 4,000 people or something like that. Yeah, this is massive. end of yeah. civilization shit. Well, the government's thinking about it. I saw an RFP. I know a guy who knows a guy who who is involved in some, some government stuff. They, they, they put out an RFP. What does that mean? Like a request for proposal for tech companies to go, we need a drone system. You know the Prometheus movie? Yep. Where they throw it up in the air and... Runs yep. off and maps these underground. They wanted that type of system that can work without GPS, because they're interested in fighting wars in underground cities. Because they think that they that's think where it that might may go. be what happened, where it might go in the future. So they're trying it's to crazy. They're tech. thinking like about the, war even after a massive yeah, event. I mean, that's, like that's us, man. <laughs> If there's an extinction-level event, there's going to be violence followed very quickly. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. first time it survives. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you, you would love a series about this. Yeah. Um, yeah, it depends where you are on the planet and if you, you, how your luck holds wherever you are. I mean, What were you saying about the Turkey thing or... Daring Kuyu? Yeah. Well, so there's, there's evidence for underground cities, ancient Co- underground cities as well. Yeah, and all I, over. Yeah, I think so. I, definitely places like Cappadocia and Daring Kuyu in Turkey, they could have held hundreds of thousands of people. In have, you seen, have you seen any of these? No, no. This is incredible. Yeah, so they yeah. basically carve cities out yeah. underground with access to air yep. and water. And There's water. underground There's rivers. Wells. So they knew oh, where the crazy. river was and the water line was. That's so crazy. you have everything you need. But and I think that speaks I was, to being very advanced. 100%. Underground city, and we know where the water is, you know how to access the water. Mm-hmm. And how many people could they hold? Well, Darren Kuyu, I'm pretty sure, was, was the, the figure's... I Look think it, that. like, that's only a tiny part of it. I it's think like an it, it could have been 100, I've, I've heard up to like hundreds of thousands of people, certainly more than 50,000 mm. people. Uh, and But you, same thing in Egypt. And there's rumours of this stuff all over the place. I mean, there's giant underground networks of tunnels underneath Saqqara, I think underneath Giza, all over Egypt. Now, is it possible that they're using this during the time where there's tons of comet impact? I think that's probably why, I mean, it speaks to someone who they may have known it was coming. Like you've got these indicators, like if the Sphinx is marking the age of Leo and you've got these alignments. I mean, they're pointing at that for a reason because that time period is also that of cataclysm, right? It's at least in the last processional cycle, the last 26,000-year period. It kind of lines up to it. And Gobekli Tepe, there's a lot of research done into that side as well. It may be an astronomical calendar and a historical one, but it seems to point at this time. It's like like they're transmitting a message down through time. This is It's possible. That's telling us, look at this time, like this time means something, this was bad, like figure it out. And if they knew it was coming, maybe they were preparing these things as, you know, the doomsday bunkers, a place you could survive until it was, the outside was nice enough to come back out and go, holy shit. What's happened? the, uh, what's the uh, stone that has the different constellations on it and Gobekli Tepe? Uh, Graham it, talked about it in the... Yeah, uh, it's like Pillar 13 or Pillar... Pillar, pillar 7 or something like 5 that. or whatever. Yeah, I'm not... But basically it has this like... Maybe he might be taking liberties on it, but like they have an organization of the constellations that happens to... The last time the constellations were organized in that manner, there was a global cataclysm. Right, yeah. right, right. So it's like they're not usually organized like that, mm-hmm. but when they are... This is when it's it was. Like, it was basically go time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's and like it lines up with the, the younger dries. And it's uh, yeah. 
Okay, and where do they think Younger Dryas did hit, and what do they think the damage was? So I, I think I, it was a northern hemisphere uh, impact. I think I think you're mostly looking at ice impacts onto the, the what was the Laurentide and Calderon ice sheets covered most of like North America and Canada. I actually think that some of the Great Lakes region. Randall's doing a lot of really good research into what could be actual impact formations in the geology of the northern United States and, and Canada today. Uh, because the other thing is we know that that's where this, this a lot of the, the meltwater from these glaciers came out, right? This is the evidence for... Have you guys ever been up to the Scablands, eastern Washington State? No, you know about this place? I've seen the videos. It's, it's crazy. amazing. These, these giant coolies. You're talking one of these coolies, just one of several of them. What's a coolie? A coolie is like a canyon but with no water. Yeah. So it's like this giant, like thousand... Think of like the Grand Canyon, but, a th- you know, much super wide, thousand foot high, 800 it's foot high It's also a racist walls. term for Indians in South Africa. So I got, <laughs> I got a little bit uncomfortable when you kept saying that. But uh, continue, sorry. It's with a U in it. It's, okay, it's all right, got okay. it. <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, it's the Channeled Scablands. And it's, it's basically the outwash of this water, this tremendous floods. We know now that, you know, this, this all happened at the end of the Ice Age, but it completely destroyed that environment. It carved up, it ripped through this land. It, I mean, you're talking about a single one of these of these channels and there were multiple of them. It's, you know, like <laughs> 50, 100 times the volume of all the rivers on the earth at once. Oh, wow. Like, you know, just a, like a, almost like a billion cubic feet per minute at where it all gathered up. It's just the, the catastrophic just flood in this. It just tore through. Like yeah. the flood, so where it's carved that channel, the actual water was probably three, 400 feet above that. And it just it just ripped so through here. All and, the and national parks in the United States of America are just remnants from the latest cataclysm. America, yes, America. Cataclysms make some cool shit. They do. Like yeah. this is stunning. Yeah. And if you go down to where was I in like southern Utah and stuff like that, yep. you see these like I mean, even they're not cataclysms, yeah. but Bryce you Canyon see and, exactly yeah, like the Zion. damage from the water damage from canyons creates some like stunningly yeah. beautiful. And why things. can't it just be like gentle erosion over millions? Well, of that years? that was the argument for a long time until until you had guys like Jay Harlan Bretz was a catastrophist. He's and then Randall Carlson's doing a lot of good work in this space. And now this at least up here in the Channel Scablands, they have swung around. So. It's a long story. It comes back to religion, funnily enough, because the story of religion was always catastrophism, right? What's the story in the Bible? It's Noah's flood. It's the great flood, right? Mm. So that was always where we got our answers from. So you have the, the age of enlightenment, the age of reason starts, science has its beginnings, geology emerges as a, as a, as a fledgling science. And for something like 60, 70 years, a stated goal of geology was to get as far away from the catastrophism of religion as they could. So think of it as like a massive overcorrection. They said, they went out there and said, you go out and you have to explain every feature we see on the landscape with gradualism or uniformitarianism, Mm -hmm. which is the gentle, slow, erosive processes that we see in place today. Like the, you know, stream slowly eroding stuff, hills and shapes taking form. So that's what ends up in all the textbooks. And some stuff is still explained like that, and it's it's frankly nonsense. Mm. So, but now we, we're sort of coming back in the other direction, going, you know what? Some of these landscapes and features are the result of catastrophic flooding, and at least up here in, in Washington State, they're like, yes, there's still arguments going on. Some people think it's like 50, 60 floods. Randall thinks it was one or two. I think Randall's right. Uh, he has significant evidence for it. There's all sorts of problems with like how ice dams reform. It's kind of a convoluted, long story. But this does align, this model, this environment aligns with like the meltwater pulses. So everything wraps up and shows that in that period, that younger dries period, when all, we had all this ice on land that it all ended up in the ocean in a big bloody hurry. It's like, you, and it just, that's, we, and we don't, 
you need, you need an external source of energy for that. If you took that lump of ice that was on top of North America and you plopped it down in the warmest waters at the time, say somewhere around Indonesia, it'd take 30,000 years for to it melt. For it to melt, yeah. yeah. It would still be here. But it <laughs> melted in an incredibly short period of time, so you need this source of energy. Turns out, then you combine that with all of the strata work. This, so it's like the macro scale and the micro scale. The macro scale, we've got these catastrophic landscapes, the work of Randall Carlson. The micro scale, we've got all the work of the Comet Research Group, 160 plus peer reviewed papers looking at the science. So we've narrowed in, we're like, God damn, this was a violent period. It probably knocked our species. Graham says we're a species with amnesia for this very reason. It's a great analogy. So turn all of this around. I think that's why catastrophism and the Younger Dryas is the key that unlocks this longer story of civilization and human history because now you've got all this other evidence, these stories that are embedded in religions and mm-hmm. origin stories and cultures that speak of earlier times. Every, every culture out there is like, hey, our ancestors went through either flood or fire. It knocked them down. They had to rebuild. It's like, is this all bullshit? Yeah, there's a flood myth in Mayan uh, mythology. There's a flood yeah. myth in like in Christian. Amazon. There's, I'm yep. sure, there's Indian. I mean, everyone. Yeah. But and and this makes sense if these comets were hitting more regularly, and then you were experiencing these floods. I, dude, I I think some of these tales include basic eyewitness accounts of these floods. If you go to the other vectors directory on there, you can pull up a few. The Mahabharata literally talks about swarms of meteors coming out of the sky. Revelation 8 and 9. What's the Mahabharata? It's Mahabharata. It's uh, yeah, okay. Indian yeah, Hindu story. Oh, uh, okay. Hindu epic, yeah. Yeah, you go to other vectors in there. Oh, uh, in, the, in this one? Yeah. Um, uh, that's the third oh, one down, yeah. yep. Now, I guess my question is if there's a gap between Hinduism's 4,000 years old the Younger Dryas period is as many as, what, 12,000 B.C.? So that's yeah, yeah. No, 14,000 no, no. years old. 12,000 B.C.? No, just 12,000 years 12,000 years, yeah, 12, yeah, years yeah, ago, yeah, sorry. 12, so there's that 8,000-year gap. How does that story hold up for 8,000 years? If, theoretically, we went back to— and I'm not saying this to no. pick at you, I'm just curious, no, and, it, and I'm sure you've thought this through. Uh, if we went, theoretically, back to a Stone Age, how did we maintain these—, these Eyewitness accounts for 8,000 years. Well, I, I think that's, they get deified, they get put into stories. That's how we, that's like the oral tradition, that's how we transmit the data down through time. Not only, I think, are there eyewitness accounts and stuff like this, I mean, Revelation 8, Mahabharata, uh, all of these stories, that I think it's an oral tradition. And, and there's also evidence in all of these stories for celestial knowledge, for those that same processional numerology I talked about. There's, there's, there's a whole book called Hamlet's Mill. That's a a complicated book, but they essentially showed in that that from all these cultures all around the world, there seems to be that same processional numerology, these 72s, this stuff that correlates to the cycles of the heavens and the, the cosmic world is also encoded in these tales, in some cases in civilizations where we know they had no clue about this. It All of it points to like these, like a common ancestor, a common... Yeah a progenitor of this story. Yeah. I think that, I mean, like, to be fair, some of these things, uh, the biblical flood, the flood of Moses, for example, might have been related to an event that happened called Burkle Crater, which was about 5,000, um, I think it was 5,000 BC or 5,000 years ago. Uh, they may be smaller events that have generated floods. Like this isn't the only impact. Like Burkle Crater was a, a hot, I mean, it, it would have flooded the Middle East right around the right sort of time. It, it landed in the Indian Ocean 800-foot tsunamis hit Madagascar and, and the coast of Western Australia. Yeah. I probably fucked India up too. Yeah. It would, uh, yeah, would have I mean, washed up north, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I think that a lot of this stuff gets transmitted down through time with oral traditions and it gets put into these stories and characters and deified because that's how we 
we, we retain that data and, and transmit it down through time. And what was the timeline of the pyramids, the Great Pyramids and the Younger Dryas? Well, I mean, they're not, if you ask the orthodox Egyptologists, they're not related. Like, the, the young, so Younger Dryas, 12,800 years old to, to like 11,600. Uh, pyramids started about 4,500 years old, according to the mainstream story. So, you know, 2,500 BC. But it's possible and that those pyramids could have been made 30,000 years ago. It could be. Or at least the structure, the base of them, a form of them that was there. Like I said, you, you, you can't really... It's very difficult to distinguish what the dynastic Egyptians did to it. They probably worked on them, repaired them, maybe have done some of the work. We just don't know. That's... That's part of the challenge of looking at this stuff. It's it's you have to factor in that a lot of it's been reused, and we yeah. have strong strong evidence of that. And when it comes to things like statues, because there's it's not just the pyramids, you know. It's like I recently did a lot of work in looking at the precision that's evident in these these vases that come from that the earliest was crazy. time. Yeah, uh, this vase stuff is. <laughs> can you get up some of the yeah you got the vase vases. images? I mean, this this the vase directory. This is mind boggling. Because really what you're trying to do is if, you're try if your argument is that there was an ancient civilization with a you know, much more sophisticated technology, mm -hmm. you can prove that through artifacts that existed at the time that were beyond the scope of the technology Absolutely. that traditional archaeologists believe existed. Yeah. So if you have, it's hammer and chisel, is that the term? Uh, I mean, stone pounders and chisels. Yeah. Okay, so I mean, stone basically. pounder and chisel. If you have stone pounder and chisel, but you also have an artifact that couldn't possibly be created with stone pounder and chisel, right. that comes from that time or time before it, uh -huh. there either is another technology that is now long gone, right. or the timing is off on the pottery. That, uh, yeah, you've just summarized. Or not even pottery, the vase. So explain this vase thing. This blew my fucking mind. Yeah, so that's you, you did a great job summarizing it right there. It's There are these artifacts that exist from, I would say, pre-dynastic times up until the very earliest of dynasties, like the Old Kingdom, right? But you talk going back 15... just give 15, the time 15, period 15, for those. Some yeah. of these have been found in sites that are dated back 15,000 years. So they've been found in been sites found that in date burials. back... Primitive burials yeah. that date back to 15,000. And everything else about these burials, they seem mesolithic, right? It's a guy curled up in the fetal position... In a shallow grave, a place called Toshka, for example, is one of these sites. Um, they found this, and there's primitive pottery in there. Very much matches the you know Mesolithic times. So but it's they also mixed found with the they, primitive pottery. And, and they, keep in mind, this is not pottery. This is not pottery. These are these are vases that are made from extremely hard types of stone, granite, diorite, porphyry. No. Schist, if I'm an archaeologist granite. and I see some pottery and I see this vase, yeah. I yeah. see it in this gravesite. I'm going to go, okay, it's probably made around the same time. This all makes sense to me. I'm not an expert in fucking geology. I don't know what this stone is or that stone. What's that? Engineering. Or engineering. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to throw them all together. This makes sense. Then you get some fucking engineering nerds to look at it, and they go, wait a minute. This isn't pottery. Yeah. This is granite. Well, hard or, stuff even, right? Yeah. Okay, so Corundum. what? So what was this? Yeah, so this one right here. Yeah, I mean, and it's, so these vases display remarkable engineering characteristics, also precision. And so there's a lot of challenges when it comes to making this sort of stuff. It is tremendously difficult. So it's very hard to explain with the primitive tools and technology that we know those people had. So as you said, it either means there was a whole other technology and, and engineering process available to them that we have no evidence for, all the timings off, and so what is it? they may have inherited them because again, you're also writing about how they date stuff in ancient Egypt. If it's buried on a site, and somebody wrote something on that site, and they say, they, then they just pretty much go everything from here is is from this 
this period, this time. Yeah. Based on the writing or based on the context of where and it's it found. Makes sense. But it, these guys aren't experts. They're not. They're not. Well, uh, well, they're not engineers. It does, but it also rules out this idea of inheritance. It's funny enough that they they there's so many of these have been found. Like forty to fifty thousand of them. Yeah. Were found beneath <laughs> yeah. one pyramid. Fifty thousand. Yeah. Forty to fifty thousand of these hard stone oh, vases. Wow. These remarkably engineered objects, but beneath <laughs> one. One one pyramid, uh, Joseph's uh, step pyramid, supposedly the first pyramid, uh, at Saqqara, and they and even and even then the, the mainstream um, Egyptology has been forced to admit that okay, most of these were probably inherited. Like he didn't have a maid. They even they have to admit that, and they say, well, they were probably first and second dynasty, which is also nonsense because they go back thousands and thousands of years before that. So it's but after that period, like the third and fourth dynasty, this is what's so important about these vases, I think, is that they they kind of disappear from the record. Like, they don't keep making them. And why would you stop making something that was so prolific? so easy. And, well, they, they make an inferior product after that, made out of alabaster. You can see it's all handmade. They're beautiful. There was a whole other industry. But doesn't have Not the precision. Not remotely no, the yeah. same thing as these. Explain some of the precision, though. This okay. is where it gets wild. This is crazy because no, and most of these are under lock and key. Look at that This thing. is, right. this is, <laughs> yeah. It's one of my favorites. blowing Okay. Yeah. So they're remarkable, right? Hardstone. Very, very hard, harder than steel. Put it this way, some of these vases, there's even a corundum one, or a lot of them have, like, inclusions of corundum. That's a nine on the most scale. The only thing harder than that is it's diamond. Is a diamond. Wow. Is diamond. And they've, ten. they've shaved it down with this level of precision. And symmetry. It can stand like it's standing on, like, a, a there's tip There's no of an flat egg. bottom. Right. Yeah. This it's is crazy. a rounded bottom. So the vase needs to be evenly distributed in the weight in yep. order for it to stand like that. If that I saw that today at a crate and barrel, I'd be like, how y'all do this? A million dollars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, dude, some of them on the market, they go for big big money because there are people understand the value in it. And I think the ancients understood the value in it too. Well, that's why they're the, buried under the fucking thing. Like if you have 40,000 of them, they're treasures. Mm. And they knew that they were treasures and yeah. that's why they took such good care of them. Yeah. So they knew that there was something different going on. Yep. When these vases were made, and, and that's why you find them all in the same place. Why were they never looted? Well, they in some places they were like that's. I think I think Joseph probably looted them from older tombs and buried them with him. Mm. And, and a lot of these were looted. Like they just he buried so many of them. I think a lot of them were smashed up. Probably had at some point when they were looting down there. At that point, the tomb raiders are like, like probably trying to break them, looking for like are these full of gold. What the hell's in here? Mm. Like they, there's so many. Okay, and then some of these assholes would scratch their names into them with a chisel, and it's just horrible writing that's on a couple of them. It's like and doesn't that suddenly match. Lacks the- Precision oh, and all 100%. that. hundred percent. So the the precision is what's interesting. We've been able to eyeball these things. We you can kind of look at them. No one yet, until just recently, has been able to actually analyze one of these things in detail. Now I, and I've put out a couple of videos recently about this. Been working with some guys, yeah. professional metrologists who work in the aerospace industry, making like turbine blades and super high end. Like these are guys of no shit professionals in this space. They have taken one of these vases that belongs to a guy, actually lives here in New York, um, in a, like a private collector, because you can't get to these in a museum. They won't, they, they're not interested in studying the engineering of these things, but we got one of these pre-dynastic granite vases and we scanned it with a structured light scanner that scans it down to like the thousandth of an inch or for all the people out there that hate the imperial system that harass me all the time, 25 microns No, no, we less. don't do that shit. Yeah, yeah, Give okay. Us the thousandth of an inch. I'm yeah, fine yeah. with that too. It's just, ugh. This is just nerds go crazy about this shit. Um, but it's and and the results are truly astonishing. What we found by analyzing these the scans of one of these vases, yeah, and that it's it's it has to have been designed and manufactured with a system that is incredibly precise that can get things down to a thousandth of an inch. Now, bear in mind the width of a human hair is between two and three thousandths of an inch. Mm. So you're talking about 
precision and levels of geometric sort of um, sophistication that's you know half the width of a human. What hair. is down to a thousand of an inch? Well, so so what you do is, and if you go to vase scan. Uh, there's a directory the called Vase Scan. Or is it, oh, this is just pictures of the vase, but there's, I've got a directory called Vase Scan. Gotcha. We, we, you look at it and you go, okay, so the top of the vase, we can define how flat that is, right? And we can also say, well, that's, think of that as a horizontal axis. Yep. And then there's the mouth of the vase. And what they do, if you, if you go to Vase Scan, uh, the directory, you, you, you're, you're, when you scan this thing, that's the, that's the vase that we scanned. So if you go to like this, the second and third picture here. So yeah, so yeah. essentially we're taking the, the top of that vase, we've, we've mapped it like a horizontal axis to it. Now we're mapping a cylinder to the neck of the vase using more than I think it's 10,000 points of reference. So yep. a very accurate representation yep. of that neck of the vase. And you can compare it to that top. So we know, okay, that, that cylinder, yep. once you map a geometric object to it, you can perform geometry on it, figure out what's its center line, what's its center point, all that stuff. It's perpendicular to the top of the vase perfectly within one thousandth of an inch. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then so, and then you Basically, could, the top is really even. It, well, it is super <laughs> even, but yeah. now you've got, think of it, now this vase we've defined an exa, like a horizontal yeah. axis and a vertical axis. Yeah. Now we can go and map uh, geometric shapes to other parts of the vase, the yeah. cylinders to the lug handles, yeah. cones to part of the vase body or a sphere to part of the vase I body. I just want to make it like digestible because I it heard is. you talk about this before. And, and so yeah. just, just for that top part, yeah. basically if we assume the bottom is flat, yeah. the top is almost perfectly parallel to the to the bottom or the ground it's sitting on. That's what you're trying to say yeah, so in terms of precision, or per right? Perpendicular and parallelism. Perpendicular is when this perpendicular when this is the fake t, column yeah, 90 that degrees. you guys are doing. Yeah. But I'm just trying to explain like how flat the top oh, is, yeah. and that's why it's so impressive. Well, it's flat. I think if you go to the first one, it's flat within like four thousandths of an inch or something. It's I mean, it's insane. Like it's and then no. Ancient tools as we know them would be you able to couldn't do that. Do, you need a so, level with yeah. like yeah. the point of this is is this this is so far beyond the realms of some dude banging on it with a rock or grinding on it with sand and a, and a stone, which is how they say they were made. Yeah. And it's, it's impossible to explain this but, with hand tools. So, like, but this is the, the thing point. that's so interesting to me is that like there's this sophistication bestowed upon. A quite meaningless object. Right. Right? It's a whole other thing. A pyramid okay. is different. And 50,000 of them. It is. And 50,000 of them. Yes. So you need to be able to replicate that. Maybe yeah. they have over factories. and over and over again. Now we're talking. There's an industrial process at Pointy. And so there's a, there's a longer discussion you can get into about the relationship between precision and function. You only develop this type of ability to, to work in these precise measures if you are getting a functional return. Think about it this way. But once you, And then once you have that capability... Right, your manufacturing capability can be very precise. Yeah. You can then apply it to everything, right? Yeah. So yeah. I think there were functional objects. Some of these, either it's the sites, might be the pyramids, might yeah. be these giant bloody boxes that are underground everywhere. Yeah. I think a lot of that that seemed to show the same type of precision, I think they had a functional purpose. I think that's why they developed this level of precision. But then they just applied that manufacturing to process everything. to everything. Think about, like, have you ever owned a car from the 60s? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, fuck it, you have to turn the wheel this far to make it actually the wheels before they start to turn and the yeah. panel gaps are wide and the rain gets let in and cars today, they're beautiful, they're all put together. It doesn't, we don't need that, yeah. but our manufacturing capabilities is, has robotics. Been refined. Much better. It's, yeah. that's, that precision in manufacturing gets applied and I think that's what we're looking at here. I actually think there may be functional purposes for these things. They could be, they could have acoustic uh, properties. There might have been parts of, of other machines we don't know. That's the other crazy stuff part about this is like 
It's the temtation is always there to look to our, look at us and say, how yeah. would we do this? A visa us is not a visa them. It might it not might be. be more than ours. Exactly. It might be. Yeah. yeah. It might yeah. be some, something else. Here's a question I have for asking for a frame of reference. This civilization was much more advanced than we were up until recently. Around what time did our modern civilization become as advanced as they were, if at all? Oh, uh, no, I think so. We could do, if we put the time and effort and money and resources to it, I think we could replicate uh, a lot of this stuff. We haven't ever done it. It's too expensive. It's pre- like it, no one's got the backbone or the resources to do it. That's not to say we couldn't do it. Well, here, I think our, what, and our technology, I think, is different. I think we, when you look back at technology, think about like you talked about the progression of technology over a couple hundred years, right? We've gone down this electromechanical route of, yeah. of how we work and the world works. The temptation is there to then apply that to the past. But mm. think of like in 50 years, 100 years, 1,000 years, we're going to know so much more about all these other realms of science and technology. Mm. I just think some of the answers and the, and the paths that the, this civilization may have taken could be outside of our current understanding or perspective. I think it, they may have taken different routes. Their technology might have been very different. So it becomes really hard to and kind of guess at what it is. And we have to assume that because there's no evidence of the electromechanical technology. Well, yeah, there's nothing. Like, there's no computers. There's no. Then there's right. the whole where the where are the tools argument is one that gets raised all the time, and that's um, a reasonable fucking argument. It is. It's it like is. You've got these things that can't be made with these ancient tools. The ones we found. The yeah. ones we found. So right. where are the fucking tools? And I think you hear this a lot of times with like uh, the, the 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 skepticism about ancient civilizations. It's yeah, like, yeah. okay, well, where they live. Where are the homes? Right. Where are all these things? These are good questions. Yeah. No, I think that we should be asking these questions. And um, I think it's good that you don't get defensive about those things. I, I, I think, yeah, and they're, they're valid questions. And I think there's a lot of... We haven't looked in a lot of the places where I think this stuff's going to be, for starters. And oh, I, I also... Well, where do you think it's going to be? Well, I think Graham Hancock makes a great point about this, but it's like sea levels rose 400 feet all over the world. There's like 10 million square miles of land that went under that would have been coastal and inhabited yeah. uh, during, those, during these periods when the sea levels were far, far lower. We don't look at that stuff. Marine archaeology is 100% focused on shipwrecks. We just don't, we don't look in these places. Like the, the Amazon, the, the Amazon we, we, we're, thanks to deforestation in the Amazon, we're finding the remnants of cities. Thanks to it, yeah. Well, yeah, thanks to this, one good one thing. Good thing. Yeah. One good thing <laughs> of all that. We're finding the remnants of cities that have no place in the story of history. Yeah. But they're the size of like London in the 1800s and there's hundreds of them. Like yeah. we'd have no clue where they're coming from. They're finding these there's, massive pyramids still. I think the biggest yeah. one they've ever found is La Danta in Guatemala, I believe. Yeah, I'm not sure. I thought the biggest one by mass might have been Cholula, but yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was the one that was also in the... Uh, it's in Mexico somewhere? Yeah, yeah, Cholula, Mexico. Yeah. But, um, but, yeah, it is just fascinating to see it, like how much is covered up. Yeah. It, I mean, if you even see, like, the... Where are the pyramids outside of Mexico City? What are uh, those? Uh, the uh, Temple of the Pyramid of the Sun and the Moon. It's, yeah. Um, yeah, I've forgotten the name of the... It's I, whatever, I went over there and they showed images before they started scooping out all the land and everything. They just look like mountains. How many mountains, yeah, right. how many hills exist right now that little kids are playing on top of? Could and like stone structure. That their fucking yeah. houses built on top of that yeah. are actual old pyramids. Listen, mm-hmm. there's, they said that thing about one in, I think, Albania. Yeah, uh, that one's disputed. It's disputed. It Bosnia, you mean? Yeah, Bosnia, Bosnia. Bosnia yeah. I, yeah, so I personally think be, that's a... That's a natural formation. Uh, there's not to say that there's not tunnels. There are tunnels and structures in it, but yeah. that one, you always see it from that one angle. And it's just, just the exactly one like picture. A Get on Google yet. Earth and spin around. You're like, oh, this yeah. is just part That's of the mountain. end of a mountain range. Yeah. Yeah. But there are pyramids all over China. This exact look, exact like this. That, that are, they literally have been deliberately planting over them since I mean, the 80s. Dude, I mean, if you trees wanna, and hills now. It's just, but they're the, pyramids. 
if, if we assume that the Sahara back then was completely lush, if it looked like the Amazon, if that's true, right, how many cities, pyramids, other megalithic structures are just covered in sand dunes? Don't, could be tons. They, they, they literally, even yeah. today, archaeologists and Egyptologists will tell you 70 to 85% of... Of what of, of ancient Egypt is still buried beneath the sand. I mean, think how big they, they need to make the pyramids that. for us to even see the tips of them. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? just the tips of the fucking pyramids and the, the, the barely the head popping up of the, the sphinx. sphinx. Yeah. That's how yeah, massive yeah. it had to be to weather what thousands of years. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, at least thousands of years, potentially a lot longer. It's because those dunes shift around too, right? They do. Well, in fact, yeah, you can. I know guys that 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 bank on that. You actually go and. As the dunes shift, you kind of every few years you might go and look at the area between the dunes because it's kind of uncovering more ground and you go and find like Arab stone, you know, tips and arrow points and heads and stuff. Yeah, so there's a lot of parts of the world we haven't looked. Uh, a lot of the areas, there was a lot of devastation. Uh, I think we don't, it's hard to comprehend just how much work with the end of the Younger Dryas, like the sediment layers, like stuff might be buried at the bottom of the ocean under yeah. hundreds of feet of water. I mean. But under look, 200 feet of sediment as well. Yeah. Which one is this one? Uh, uh, that's the Pyramid of the Sun, I think. It's Teotihuacan, yeah. Teotihuacan. So this is the one in Mexico, Mexico City, City, right? Yep. Yep. I yeah, mean, cool. look at how it looked. <laughs> yeah, there's the Sphinx's head sticking out as well, yeah. I don't even believe in mountains anymore. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> might not be. It's crazy. Some people think there's a pyramid in Antarctica. Oh, I've, I, you showed me that crater impact. We do know that there was a massive crater impact, <laughs> oh, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, probably many. Yeah, no, it's probably been tons over the over yeah. years. Yeah. So I'm curious, why is the pyramid so significant? Why has it been replicated by every culture? It's I don't know. I, it's a very significant thing, though, isn't it? It seems to be. I mean, I don't. It, a lot of this, a lot of the arguments that um, that the mainstream uses is what they call like it's like cultural coincidence, or it's like they're solving people all around the world solve the problem the same ways. I think right. a lot of that's nonsense when it comes to megalithic building. Is like you're literally choosing the hardest and most difficult way to right. do something. But like fire, like pyramids, every, every, every culture yeah. develops fire. Yeah, fire or like all napping and making a spear. Like that's right, just, and that's all coincidence. That I, That's not, yeah, that's all like, that's we're solving this particular problem. Right. And what about I don't the think wheel? We can apply that's it pretty, to this. That happened around the world around the same time, right? Yeah, more or less, people got there. Yeah, I mean, it's just that's. I just mean, the pyramid thing, like everybody developing a pyramid at the same time, doesn't really strike me as, as the most um, I th peculiar thing because that's just how you would build something. Right? You can't build straight up. It falls over. It's also very Maybe. difficult to build straight up. So we just build in this kind of like, what, is, well, it, what are they called? The step? Step in Mastaba. So it started the way they yeah, describe it. It's like, me. well, we started by digging a hole and burying people in that. And then we started, you know what? We'll just we'll build a little mound over the top of the hole. And then it became this step structure. We'll call it a mastaba, like a platform. Yeah. And you know what? We'll start stacking these mastabas. And then you and see that in Central America. That's this shape. And in South America, where they're like these pyramid structures built on top of pyramid structures. Right. Which makes it much easier to build because yeah. now you're not redoing this foundation. You're just kind of building on top of it. Yeah. And they've become massive. It's strange. I, was, I don't buy in a lot of ways the tomb, uh, the tomb theory with this stuff too. It's like... I had a conversation with someone recently that said, you know, the easiest way and tons of le less effort is if you really want to hide a burial tomb for someone is you dig down into the ground and then you, once you're done, you collapse it all in after you. It's so much less work than building a giant pyramid and trying to bury someone in there and hope that no one's ever going to get into it. It's not the most efficient way to oh, build a Oh, was tomb. the idea that the pyramid <laughs> would provide protection for the person it's supposed inside? Well, it's a monument and then, yeah, it's supposed to, like, stop tomb robbers from getting... That's what they... This goes with the tomb theory, which I don't think these yeah. were tombs. There's, there's fuck all evidence that they were, these big ones were tombs. 
Some of them were used later on undoubtedly as tombs and repurposed that way, but not these ones. The big ones, I don't even think the dynastic Egyptians got into them, to, frankly. I, I, I think they couldn't get into them. Because you know, I think, think we'd, see, we'd see a lot more evidence of it if they, if they did. You don't think they could because of just the sand, like, blocked no, the openings? I mean, you got to imagine, like, when these things were covered in the in the the casing stones, it's like it's super white. It would have like reflected the sun like a mirror, and there's no visible so joints. Cool. It's you cannot pry those stones out. There's no obvious entrance to it. You know, it's just it's it's really difficult to look at that. The very the top of the middle one still has some of those casing stones that are weathered over time. But yeah. can you imagine these just perfect <laughs> yeah, if it's white not a, pyramids that are just I like know, what I the know. Fuck are if it's not you a know tomb, this desert needs some giant triangles. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if it's not a tomb, what would you conjecture is the purpose? I think I personally, my and it's speculation. I think they were functional. I think they was they did something. I think they're all broken now. They don't work anymore. I think they were a functional device. What that is, I don't know. There's lots of theories out there. A guy named Chris Dunn, a good friend of mine, a, a very good author, engineer. Uh, he's really has moved this whole um, uh, field forward in a lot of ways when it comes to ancient precision and technology. Yeah. He has a theory that it's like the Giza power plant. It does explain, his theory does explain all of the elements of the pyramid. He used it to correctly predict what was behind Gate and Brink's door, which is one of those little things in one of the shafts in uh, in the Great Pyramid. Can you explain this yeah. to us? Yeah, so so in the there's really weird aspects to the Great Pyramid. These are not the functional, pyramid. by the way. These are your bracelets? <laughs> yeah. You know, like clang them together. Yeah. Oh, dynastic Egyptians, not that functional. <laughs> exactly. Dynastic Egyptians did not get it, dude. Yeah. yeah. The ancient Civ ones <laughs> looks would have, great, though. Yeah, they, they understand visuals for sure. Yeah. They did. Okay. Yeah, so Gain brings door. Well, there's these strange features in there, right? You've got... So we're inside the, the, the Great, Great pyramid. pyramid. So you go in, there's three chambers, right? Yeah. There's a subterranean chamber that's down way below it in the bedrock with a shaft that goes through the, the pyramid. Can we access that? Because I don't think uh, I went... I went inside. I don't yeah, know if I went no, down. So not unless you do like a special permission. Every time I... We rent it out for two hours, they open it up for us. Oh, wow. So... If you go in on a tourist ticket, you can go into like the Grand Gallery and up into the King's Chamber. Yeah, that's, that's where most people go. Yeah. There's also a, a chamber below that called the Queen's Chamber. Now... Those both the king's, the so-called king and queen's chamber, have these shafts, right? So there's the ones in the king's chamber go to the outside. We know this because at some point, you know, some of these crazy British guys were rolling cannonballs down them, and they ended up in the king's chamber. Like, ah, that connects. Oh wow! <laughs> so they just found cannonballs in the tomb, and they were like, oh. well, they were just like, hmm, there's an opening. We think it might be on the shaft. Let's find out. <laughs> And oh, yeah, hilarious. They, they like they're probably damaged. I mean, there's rods, there's explorations of these shafts. There's like big, long steel rods that they've tried to probe them with. But the ones in the queen's chamber are more interesting because they don't go to the outside. They terminate somewhere inside the structure. Now, this is like a four to six inch square shaft, right? Wait, 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 wait. It's, four it's, to it's, six this, inch. it's this big. It's how the hell do you make that? It has to be made when you're building the structure. Like it has to be planned. Mm. We don't know where they go, but we eventually we sent robots down them and it turns out they go to what looks like a little door. There's a little door at the end. It's a, it's yeah. a limestone plug and it looks like it's got, if you go to like Gate and Brink's door, uh, maybe there's pictures of it there, I don't know. But maybe this. Gate and Brink, yeah, that's it there. Well, that's after they drilled through it. So that they actually... <laughs> And, and on the door are these two what they say are copper copper uh, handles, but one of them's eroded more than the other. It's almost like it's an anode cathode, like it may have been part of some sort of function. Like a fucking battery? Yeah, something like that. So part of Chris Dunn's theory, yeah. that's it there. So you had this is what's at the end of this of this shaft. Get the fuck out yeah. of here. And then yeah, eventually. It's like a socket. 
Yeah, it's like a cycle. Well, those little copper things that are on there. But no, the hole they they, they, they drill. They drill. Yeah. Okay. You see but, the drill bit there. Yeah. So Chris Dunn, anyway. So he's he he explains all of these features of the pyramid in his Giza power plant theory. And using his theory, before they drilled through the hole, he said, what they're going to find is another void and another little door. And they drilled through the hole, they drilled through this wall, and guess what they found? Another, another void, void and another, another fucking little door. door. Yep. Holy so, shit. So I think he was onto something. Um, and again, it lines up with your theory. It's too advanced for it not to be functional. Yeah, there's no, per- there's no, they like, oh, this is where the soul would have escaped and gone up towards, like, this, this is nonsense. And it's, then to your point about achievement. building a pyramid, just that shape is the most functional to build. This is a functional thing. That's why we're going to build it in a pyramid shape. 100%. Yeah. That is fucked. And they haven't drilled this past this. battery theory? They didn't drill past the second door. No, as far as, well, so no, there's, oh God, there's, yeah, there's a lot of nonsense going on about this for a long time. Like, Gaten Brink, Sent his robot up the wrong shaft as well. We went and had a look in there, and Zahi was threw him out of Egypt. And it, it, so there's been a lot of intrigue. There's a there's, there's a dark like there's all sorts of stories when you dive into Egyptology, in particular in the last let's say 30, 40 years of what's gone on in these pyramids and and on these sites and about who's done what where. It's a lot of stories that all revolve around certain particular characters that have been in charge of some antiquities departments in Egypt. Can you um, speak to the politics of why you can't start just excavating more of these well, it's just, shafts? It's it's controlled by the uh, the Council of Antiquities. It used to be called the Supreme Council of Antiquities uh, in Egypt. <laughs> Very and proper. for a long time, a guy named Zahi Uwas was in charge of that. And this is, you know, this comes back to the labyrinth story as well that we we mentioned before, um, or we talked about before, and. You know, he has he. They really tightly control what goes on on the sites, right? So you can't just roll up there and say, "Hey, I want to dig." Um, the way that works is you have to you have to partner with this with the with the council to do anything. And part of that is also they will want to know what your purpose is, what are you trying to find, and then they get to control the release of information at the end of it. So typically, what happens is you have institutions like universities from France or Belgium, Austria, America, wherever. Britain, they have access to a particular site to do research in a certain way and then that, re- that, that information is very slowly released whenever the Egyptian authorities deem it necessary to do so. Why are they uh, so protective of this uh, theory of history? Because why, science, why are, why are the, peop- <laughs> the people who are yeah, kind that's of... That's their claim to fame, my boy. That's all they yeah, got. I guess, but it's to Kenya. me, science is constantly disproving other science. They don't give a fuck about science. They give a fuck about like, yo, we're Egyptian. These pyramids are fire. Everybody loves these pyramids. We made them. And if this dickhead comes over there and goes, nah, it was some other people 30,000 years ago. You just bumped in on it. Yeah. They're like, man, shut the fuck up. Uh, I'm I guess not going to let you discredit our whole shit. I That's- guess in my mind, they're still Egyptian. And it would still be like, yo, we survived motherfucking apocalypse. We came back. Yeah. We're still here. That's a good, there's a good argument to that. The, but I think they might look at it like, man, we didn't really do shit since yeah. back in the day. It's not a, It's not even necessarily Egyptian that's driving this too. It's kind of a mainstream uh, Egyptology and, and, and Also, yeah, and they don't want to take the L. And also I'm sure there's a religious component, which is like, you Wait. know, if you're dating the world, yeah, you know, 6,000 years ago, mm-hmm. and then you come in and it's... 50,000 years. It's 100,000 years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's, and it, it operates a bit like a religion, to be honest. It's, and unfortunately, there's a lot of domains of science that suffer from from that type of embedded, you know, dogma yeah. in, in, to one extent. And it's it does tie back to these, essentially, what's history, right? It's, it's, a, it's, a, collect, it's a story that you cobble together from a collection of incomplete facts. Now, when more new facts come up, and Younger Dryas and all this new scientific work, mm-hmm. we should be taking that into account, but... 
you know, there's a, the problem arises when it starts to pull the rug out of the people that have, have really set what that story is. And it honestly, the story of history and civilization hasn't changed for around 100 years. It still hasn't changed, even with Gobekli Tepe. We still say, well, civilization started 6,000 years ago with the Sumerians, then the Egyptians, and then the Greeks and Romans, Chinese, and all this other stuff. Yeah. Um, is there a framework here for how this could be conducting energy and power and what that yeah, power Chris, would be used for? Chris Dunn's um, Giza Power Plant Theory takes into account all of this stuff. I don't... I'm not an expert on it, but it's it's like it's it's it has a lot to do with acoustics. The Grand Gallery has a bunch of these Heimholtz resonators in it. It's a really interesting theory. There's there's like different fluids and chemicals used in these shafts. There's there's a lot to it, and there's a lot of evidence for it as well. Like those shafts in the Queen's Chamber, for example. I mean, they don't even come out into the Queen's Chamber. They they terminate like six inches from the wall. So there was a guy running around like literally tapping on the wall. He's like, oh, that sounds a bit different behind there. So what do they get a sledgehammer and they bust the wall open. They find the shafts. Mm. Like there's nothing. And, and when they first found the Queen's Chamber, by the way, it was covered in like six inches of these crystals that may have been the byproduct of some sort of chemical reaction. And in fact, there's a... I've got in here. <laughs> I shouldn't have gone in there, but... They've been doing these experiments, so they unlocked one of these gates. There's like a shaft and a little grotto area that goes in because there's this alcove in the Queen's Chamber, but you can go right into the masonry behind it and it opens up into a little grotto area. I crawled in there and I filmed and you can still find chunks of this crystal and all, the, all these weird growths that are... Because they, they cleaned it all up and carved it all off when they, when they, when they cleaned up the, uh, the inside of the pyramid, but mm, there's a lot of this weird evidence, like something else was going on. And what is his theory as to what this power could have been used for? Some form of energy... I don't know, some sort of microwave energy that they could have used if they had a receiver for it, they could have done it. Essentially, they think it, it may be coming from like this harmonic tone or this generation, it comes from the earth. It's, yeah, it's, you it's, it's, it's a lot of complex theories on it. I don't know. Like I, I think his theory is the best one that we have that, right. that explains it with our tech. My personal opinion is I, I think it, it's probably broader than that. I think we don't quite understand what it's for but I do think it was functional. Can you explain this resonance theory that you shared? I think it was on the Concrete podcast that you did. Right. So, yeah, I mean, this one thing you find when you go in, and you would have found this when you went into the Kingstown, like it's insanely resonant, right? It's yeah. just like this, the, the, the acoustics in there are off the charts. Yeah. And there is, you know, it, it's, it could be coincidence. It's also now, very underwhelming, which makes me feel like it wasn't a chamber. The chamber? The chamber itself, you're in there, you're like, oh, this is just, like, the the awe-inspiring view of the pyramids on the outside. And then you get into this king's chamber, right? Yeah, it's a box. It's, it's a box. Yeah. So, but it is made up of, like, 70-ton granite monoliths. Th there's no question. <laughs> like, like the, the feat in order to execute placing these 70-ton yeah. granite blocks around it is very special. But when you look at the grandiosity of like the dynastic, dynastic You're right. Egyptians, You're right. it's not reflected in this room in any way. And if that was the king's room, like for a king, then I think it'd be a little different. It makes way more sense to me that this is a power factory because yeah. that looks like the source yeah. of the power or the batteries hooked up or whatever it is. That to me makes way more sense. Because if I'm the king and that's the room you made me, you're dead. Do we know if granite? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I'm not yeah. dying here, motherfucker. I need more shit. Yeah, yeah. And it is just barren. It's empty. Well, bury you, you here. The tomb right there. The it's functionalized place. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys, we're going to take a break for a second because today's episode is sponsored by Saving Your Ass Money. Think about that. Think about that. You go buy something online. There's always that little box that says, do you have the promo code? Do you have the coupon code? Is there a way for you to save money? And you never do. Let's just be honest. You never do. Well, you know what? You can. And you can without actually doing anything. Honey, 
okay, is a browser extension that's going to do it all for you. That's right. It scours the internet for all the coupon codes that are available for the thing that you need to buy. All you have to do is use it. It's free for you to use. All you have to do is use it and you save money on the things you're already going to buy online. I don't even need to convince you to do this. You're going to go buy a pair of sneakers. You use the Honey Browser extension and then boom, you save some money if there's a coupon code out there. It is that similar, simple. And also Honey doesn't just work on desktops. It works on your iPhone too. Just activate it on Safari on your phone and save on the go. So if you don't already have Honey, you could be straight up missing out. And by getting it, you'll be doing yourself a solid and supporting this show. Get PayPal Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash flagrant. That's joinhoney.com slash flagrant. Now let's get back to the show. All right, guys, we're going to take a break for a second because let's be honest, some of y'all dumbasses have probably gotten injured, hurt yourself, and you know what? You could have made a lot of money. You hurt yourself on a job. You hurt yourself because of the job's negligence. You hurt yourself because of someone driving in a stupid manner like Shifty. You hurt yourself for many different reasons, but it wasn't your fault. And you know what? You didn't get the money that you deserved. And Morgan and Morgan is going to help make that happen. And you know what? They're not going to even get paid unless they get you your money. Think about that. They're so confident if they take on your case that they're going to get you breaded up. They could get you breaded up. That they don't even want money unless you make money. Think about that. Morgan & Morgan is America's largest injury firm. They have over 100 offices nationwide, more than 800 lawyers with over $15 billion recovered for clients. Morgan & Morgan has a proven track record for fighting to get you full and fair compensation. Submitting an injury claim with Morgan & Morgan is so easy. It's more like using an app than hiring a lawyer, okay? You submit a claim with Morgan & Morgan, okay? It's basically like ordering takeout. That's how simple it is. Morgan & Morgan, you are gonna be taken care of. So if you're ever injured, you can check out Morgan & Morgan. Their fee is free unless they win. For more information, go to forthepeople.com slash flagrant or dial pound law. That's pound 529 from your cell phone. That's for the people, F-O-R the people.com slash flagrant or pound law, pound 529 from your cell. Now let's get back to the show. Do we know if granite has any functional properties that I could mean, be? Yeah, it's piezoelectric. It's it's a conductor. It's piezoelectric. If you hit it with enough pressure, it generates electricity. Uh, there's a lot of quartz content in the granite. Uh, I've done experiments with guys. We've actually seen different electrical um, conductivity properties between granite, basalt, and limestone. They have different properties. So you see these types of stones uh, lined up and, and sites made of these different types of stones that have these different electromagnetic properties to them. I think there's possibilities. I think that's where we should be experimenting and doing work to try I and mean, figure it out. Does it make, are, is there evidence of cities close to every one of these pyramids? Because that makes sense that if it's the power plant for the city, <laughs> right? But yeah. if they're just I mean, out there in the middle of nowhere and there's no, there's no city lot. around it, then it doesn't, the power plant theory kind of like goes away. We don't know. The city's probably built on top of the remnants of older cities. I mean, right. you see this in Cusco and other places too. Yeah. I mean, those, so each of those pyramids, that's the interesting thing about those pyramid sites is that they are all, I, I call them like the sun belt. You, from each one, you can see the next one. So starting up at Abu Rawash up on the hill, you can see Giza, then you can look down to see... <sighs> you know, Abu Sir to Saqqara to Dashur, and you see each other on the on the horizon. Yeah. So, I mean, I 
I don't know, maybe they're all connected. There's been rumours of, of underground infrastructure in between these sites. I've heard that oh, story. Oh, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Connecting so, all the... Potentially. I've heard that story. I don't Which know. Which would make sense functionally if you need to power yeah. the whole city or whatever. Yeah. So now, something them. so monumental as the pyramids of Giza mm -hmm. and the fact that perhaps maybe other people built them and then they were discovered by new people and then those people died out and discovered by new people, why was it eventually just left so barren for so long? Well, it was... It was it was used as a quarry. Uh, eventually it's like, you know what? You know what's easier than digging up stone from the ground? Mm. Taking the stone from this damn thing. And like it's, quarry, and it's just, just for anybody listening, it's just a sourcing place for stone. Yeah. It was yeah. A, yeah there, was, there was sources of quarries. People would just take stone from it. Like people lived like, up until, what, about probably the, less than 100 years ago, people lived at these sites in Egypt, the temples, the pyramid places. Before they became these tourist attractions, people would like cover, pitch their tents and tie the, they'd cut holes in the stone to tie the camels up. Mm. Donkeys yeah. or whatever, and they'd live there. I mean, same as all the temples. People just live there, turn into markets. I mean, we yeah. blackened the ceilings of these temples from cook fires oh, really? for generations. And Dude, then eventually it's... the government came along and says, you know what, you guys get all the F out, we're going to turn these into tourist attractions. So in some ways, like, we've yeah. inherited them, these sites today. We use them as tourist attractions. Mm. We've renovated them as like, tourist you attractions. you would think that the neighbourhood the around the pyramids would be, <laughs> like, Central Park... Property, you know what I mean? Like, it is not like mm -hmm. there are people out there who probably live in like really uh, like lower income homes that have oh, a yeah. perfect view of the most amazing thing that humans have ever created. My buddy Yusuf he lives in Nazlet El Samam, which is the village near the Sphinx entrance, yeah. and he's got his shop there and yeah. his, his little balcony is on the fifth floor of this building. Yeah, and we sit out there and play music or whatever and just stare right at the Sphinx and the pyramids. Like, that's the view he grew up with. It's insane. Wow. Yeah, it is cool. And they're trying to knock it all down now. The government right. wants to go they in there. They want to build hotels and do all the stuff, yeah. yeah. But it is really interesting. So it must have been, like, so normalized to them that they wouldn't try to build around it. That's what's peculiar to me. I you know, it's a roof over people's heads in a lot of places, in these, particularly the temples, man. Yeah. They just, they just, and they would don't care and they'd, cut holes in it and they'd take, a lot of people would scoop out, they'd get a, a blade and scoop out material and take it as some sort of, you know, healing powder or whatever, or you're taking a piece from the gods and stuff like that. So Right. But the it, people that actually build this, that how advanced they were, there's no necessarily like a theory as to why they went away or why they left or were they killed or... I don't know. I mean, the stories they tell was cataclysm. Uh, That's a, all of these ancient stories not, not come younger, back to cataclysm. Not younger dry as for them, or maybe it we was. Don't know. We don't know. Well, let's put it this way. So the Egyptians themselves, I don't think you can separate the dynastic Egyptians from the what you might call a build, the builder culture, right, the advanced sure. culture. The Egyptians themselves call themselves a legacy culture. So they, they describe two time periods before the dynastic civilization. The oldest one is called Zeptepi. It's when the gods themselves walked to the earth. They had mystical capabilities. It went for like... Uh, like 25,000 years. Yeah, they, and it's like they, the, those were the gods that then get worshipped as gods in their pantheon. They supposedly walked the earth. This is Horus, and Osiris. Were, yep, yep, yep. And then after they went away, for whatever reason, there's a, a time called uh, Shemsu Hor or the followers of Horus. Again, these semi-divine mystical beings with all of these crazy powers that mm. you could interpret as magic or technology... Mm. And they reigned for like 15,000 years or something. As disciples. And, well, yeah, they have these king's lists of, of these rulers that then it adds up to like 15,000 years for the Shemsu Hor and like 25,000 years for Zeptepi. And then <sighs> Menes is the first king of the first dynasty and it goes right uh, on. Until and dynastic. we decide. Yeah, they, they look at that. That's our history. And it's, it's our academics that decide, you know what, Menes, that's actually where the history starts and before that's all myth. And the Egyptians themselves didn't make that distinction. Now let's assume there's a cataclysm. 
Yeah. Happens tomorrow, God forbid. A thousand years from now, <laughs> and it brings us back to hunter-gatherer. A thousand years from now, if people were telling stories about these ancient humans that had little blocks that they could <laughs> see each other with on. And compute, yeah. We would sound like the gods. <laughs> you would. We would sound like the yeah, gods yeah. to people thousands of years from now. We could send messages to people and across the planet in one second on a, not even, yeah, yeah, just email. Through the air. And you know what? The idea of a satellite is so foreign. It literally <laughs> seems like we're just sending messages. It's magic. It we had magic, objects bro. in space that could track people at any point. You yeah. could have a self-automated weapon that would kill one person. Yeah. You know, like a yes. drone sounds like the craziest thing. The angry That's, gods that would strike down yeah. the wicked. Yeah, it's, and you might even imitate it. You might find a black shiny rock and carve it to look like that and try and do it. And that's, I think, what's happened in ancient Egypt because across these, these categories of artifacts and objects, you see like a tale of two industries. You have, the, you have the advanced objects and then you have the primitive objects that match the primitive tools. So I think there was a lot of imitation and replication going on. I think a lot of these places like these ancient sites, the Old Kingdom sites, the pyramid sites, eventually became ceremonial sites by the ancient Egyptians. They, yeah, were, they were the ones dancing around the campfires trying to turn them on again mm -hmm. because they've got some cultural memory of something happening, of oh, something working. It's an oral story. We would do the same thing. It's human nature. How do we get this So thing this going is again? still Egyptians? Like I, I do, yeah, because look, I, I, I think some of the statues, we haven't really talked about the statues. The statues are astonished. There are statues. Oh, you bring up these statues. Yeah, go to like the giant, precision giant of the objects. statues is yeah. just unbelievable. Yeah. There's a directory of the giant objects or statues is another one. But some of these statues uh, have the same type of precision. We, we've analyzed them for symmetry. They're, they're absolutely not makeable by hand. Um, they're very challenging. And some of them range up to the size of, take, take the Statue of Liberty, just the lady, and imagine it's made out of one piece of granite. Mm -hmm. Like that's the size of these things, like 1,000 to 1,500 tons. Imagine, yeah. this, is, this is granite, these statues. Yeah, they're all granite, single pieces of granite. I'm sorry, there are statues oh, yeah. that are the same size as the Statue of Liberty? Yeah, thousand, more than 1,000 tons. Single, go to, there's an, a directory, in, sorry. In height? Well, no, just, the, just the, the lady herself, yeah, like, like 100 feet high. Yeah, it's insane. And where are they located in Egypt? So there's a bunch of them. There's at least, I know of at least three or four. Uh, again, if you go, the, the other directory of, um, uh, I think it's Huge Objects, the third one down. There's some pictures of it. But you find them at, there's a place called, uh, one of my favourites is at um, a place called the Ramesseum. And it's the big, probably the biggest piece of one of these things is, is laying over on its side. That, that's it there. So you see the head there? You see the girl standing next to it? So there's a, that's its head, so pan right and you see the human, like she's, she's standing next oh, to it. Oh, wow, wow, wow. Yeah, yeah so that's, yeah, that yeah. was a seated statue, single-piece granite. Just the pedestal it sits on is 450 tonnes. But this thing out of rose granite was a single-seated statue that's fallen over. There's evidence for standing statues of a similar size. Keep, keep going. Um, next one. Yeah, so that's the shoulder and arm. Oh, wow. uh, that's the shoulder and hand uh, of, a, of a standing statue. Holy that's a Karnak temple that we're putting shit. back together. And that thing is made out of an even crazy material. That's, that's uh, composite quartzite, which has chunks of flint in it. And flint goes up to like an 8.5 on the Mohs scale. That is a much harder material to work than granite. Sorry, where did you say this was? Uh, Karnak Temple, which is in uh, Upper Egypt in Question. the south. And how far? Oh, yeah, go, go, Mark. I was go. just going to ask just for these materials, how far away are those, those quarries? Well, a lot of the quarries for, for granite was in Aswan in Upper Egypt. Uh, but there's so, if you, if you go to the next picture, <laughs> that's a foot. 
that's about the same size as the feet of the Statue of Liberty. You see the big toe? Mm-hmm. Now that's made out of granite. And that's in the north of Egypt. That's at Tanis. That's more than a thousand miles from the quarry for this stone. So they moved a piece <laughs> of stone that's probably 1,500 tonnes from somewhere down a thousand miles away, shipped it up to this place in the delta, and then there was a, a, a giant statue made from it. Is it so, possible? Mental, but yeah. Is it possible that the reason why there's so much evidence of the granite statues is because those are the only ones that made it. I think they're so high on the Mohs scale that they weren't absolutely disintegrated yeah. like a limestone statue would be potentially over yeah. thousands of years of erosion. Yeah, I think so. Well, granite, if you're going to make something that you want to last, you make it out of granite. It's, or you make it out of this tough stuff like this. So it's possible they also worked with limestone, they worked Probably. with other things, yeah, those are just yeah. gone. I think so. Well, and so this is where it comes back to that question about are, are they Egyptians? And why I don't think you can separate the dynastic whoa, Egyptians whoa, from. Whoa, whoa, go back one. That's the Colossi of Memnon. Fucking hell. Yeah. And that's all granite. That's all granite. Well, well actually, quartzite. But has this similar. been placed back together? It has, yes. The Romans actually rebuilt Holy one of these. Oh, really? Shit. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're uncovering big statues here all the time. This is at the, I think it's the Temple of Amenemhat, something like that. It's on uh, it's on the west bank of the Nile, where near where this is. And so this is so here's the connection to me. I think. And it's one thing you see, you go into all the temples from the Old Kingdom to the New Kingdom, the consistent look and feel of these kings and pharaohs interacting with the gods, all of the iconography doesn't really change that much. It's the same look. It's that traditional Egyptian mm, look, what yeah, you guys yeah, said, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I think they get that. It's like, I get the question like, well, if you think the statues are so old, how come they look like dynastic Egyptians? I'm like, I think it's the other way around. The dynastic I think the Egyptians, Egyptians copied look, the old statues. I think they inherited this iconography, that look, it's like every time you see their rulers, they put themselves in amongst the gods. They're trying to become one of the gods, like take some of that power, that significance. And they put themselves in those shoes, you know. Eventually they got really arrogant and they'd take these big statues, they'd hammer their own name into them. Mm. There's tons of examples of where they were these overwritten names and they put their, <laughs> this is me now, you know. It's like, like I'm the biggest, it's just Ramses the Great. Yeah. Ramses II did that everywhere. He just graffitied his name deeply into all this stuff and it's acknowledged that's what he did. Oh, wow. But I think that's where they get, that's why you can't, you can't disconnect them from that, uh, from that culture. I think they're part of it, but they have a gap and the gap's probably due to cataclysm. Right. Probably knocking them back to the Stone Age and, and hunter-gatherer. And then when they came back, they had some knowledge and some artifacts and some understanding, but they didn't have the capability. Right. Now, typically with these types of like, you know, amazing monuments, there's amazing cities nearby, kind of like what he was talking about. Mm-hmm. Now, in I'm not familiar with Egypt specifically, but are there great cities, great ancient cities that you can still see? Or like uh, remnants or ruins or of those cities? Of or are yeah. they completely built over? Thebes, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, Heliopolis. No, it's all there's all still remnants. Like up in the north, there's Memphis. There's a lot of like dynastic Egyptian cities that are there. Mm. Yeah, it's still all part of it. And yeah, I mean, the, they're built. They've generally built over the top of it. Are the cities as advanced in terms of like infrastructure and city planning as the monuments are in technology? Mm. Oh, you're talking about cities that reflect dynastic Egyptian cities. I mean, right, they, oh, like, no, no, pre-dynastic. Like, we let's say there's only the like uh, you know Empire State Building left. We can look at it and say, oh, there's an equally interesting city of people that are using yeah, the right. same remnants. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, with a yeah. fascinating monument, is there a city with you know granite roads? Is there a city right. with water structures and aqueducts? For example, go back to Tepe. Right? Yeah, exactly. You saw that one spot, and then as you did that kind of LIDAR, what is it, like a... Or a subterranean scanning or whatever. You yeah. found that there was a bunch of other versions of those structures that were yeah. built. Right. Do you see that type of, like, city planning around the Great Pyramids of Giza? Has that been covered by, like, 
Cairo. Yes, it has. Okay, yeah, yeah. so we so wouldn't be able to tell. It might be underneath. It's inhabited. Yeah, it's been inhabited. That's the thing. You change it over time, generation, yeah. even more so than potentially these pyramid sites. Where, where you can see some of that, though, it was really interesting. Is Cusco, like in in Peru? In Peru, this is fascinating. Cusco shit. is like I think one of the most unique cities in the world. It's because it's the bottom layer there, it's megalithic. Like it has this, so I think there's a similar story. I think these, this builder culture was one that was probably global. These they were seen, the Incas? They, well, the Inca is who they attribute it to. Gotcha. So the Incas are like the dynastic Egyptians. Yes, but, but much, I mean, they're much closer to us. Like it's like 1500s, 1600s, like, like not right. that long ago. Right. And that empire, as great as it was, the Inca had a fascinating and amazing civilization, but it was really like 150 years go to woe like when the Spanish came in and they all died Yeah, uh, as a result. And uh, but they say they built everything but that's that's really not what you see. It, it's the, the the difference between the technological levels in South it's America is stunning, night dude. and day. Can like you bring much, up, do you have some images from? Yeah, you go to South America, the directory, there's a, you'll see it there. But Cusco is the only city in the world, I think, where you can see these different layers of construction civilization built up on top of each other. Yeah. You, have, you have megalithic, you have Inca, yeah. you have colonial Spanish, and yeah. you have modern, all stacked this up on top of each really other. It's really cool. Uh, so, not that, that's Egypt. The next one is... What is it called? Te, um, Tehawama or something like that? Sacsayhuaman. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I've probably got so that's that's yeah. This is a good I mean, example. Here's like the 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 oh, this is Inti great. Punku, the, the sun megalith gates. at the bottom, megalithic work, and then you see what the Inca did on top of it. Like this is <laughs> that's actually really good Inca work on top. They continued it in a way yeah. that they could. They were very respectful. Yeah, they they rebuilt stuff and they repaired it. But but the the loose stonework, the small stonework, is totally what their capabilities are. This this is down in Bolivia uh, at Tiwanaku, which is an extremely unique place as well. Uh, incredible precision in the in the monuments down here. These are called the H blocks for obvious reason. Yeah. Um, but yeah, amazing flatness. Like there's been some work done here to analyze this. Frankly, all of this stuff needs deeper analysis and scanning and and Can you investigation. Go to those great walls. I think they're in Cusco. These yeah, go massive. Up. I've definitely got them in there somewhere. Yeah. Uh, no, no. It's that's, the one with the polygonal. That's it, that's it there. Yeah. There, there you, go. you go. Yeah. That's the streets of Cusco, right? This is just in the street. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, in the cin- in the city center, that's uh, it's made of granite. Those are granite blocks, and then you can see the look at this. That's Saxe Huaman. This is fucking outstanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some of these blocks are like 150, 200 tons. Very hard form of limestone, and you can again you see the the delta between the big technology yeah. and then the little rocks. Right, yeah. the Inca came along, did the little rocks. Now so. with these gigantic rocks, the yeah. megalithic rocks here. Yeah. They seamlessly fit into one another. Yeah, it's crazy. So one would look at it and go, okay, there's been some stonework done so that these stones can perfectly puzzle piece. Is it stonework or is this just 20,000 years of weight? I, I really don't know. Dude, I, this is the one place, you know, Egypt, a lot of the masonry in Egypt, it's kind of easier to look at because it's like it's flat so precise, lines. Yeah. yeah, it's straight lines. You have the same precision here, but you have these compound curved surfaces, which is ridiculously more more difficult. difficult. It almost seems like they and were it's, flexing. And it's not like, yeah, it's not like they're just like joining them up at the front. It's like if you look behind, if you go on top and you look at the joins, like these joins are perfect all the way through the depth of the stone. So, so it's, it's like they're having fun. They can't so make stupid. the even cuts, I, but they're like, what would be sexier? If Yeah. Right? 
It, it is far like, easier to just cut these into yeah, straight, regular, yeah, straight Like blocks. artistically done. I mean, it's difficult still to get them so precise that you can't stick a razor blade in there. Uh, but same thing here, but now you're curving surfaces and these mating surfaces are stupid precise. If ever there was a case for when you get into this, like, molecular softening tech, like you said right. earlier, like, That's, this thing, yeah. just, like, make this that? thing like Play-Doh and, or toffee and just shove it in there and have it form its shape next to it and then yeah, it ex- hardens. Explain like, this to so us. This well, is, it's just speculation. So we were talking about this when I mentioned this before about the pyramids and, like, using granite and things like that and moving them from so far. And he had mentioned this on a different show where he was basically saying that it's possible that the molecules can be manipulated to make it not have the same toughness. Yeah, it's it's okay, it's like so, science so, fiction, but it's we it's don't. science fiction, but it would be very similar to the idea of like heating up a metal in order to yeah. morph it. Yeah, because we do do it with certain substances. Sub substances. Heat up gold, and then you can bang away at it, or you heat yep. up uh, what is steel to make like a sword. You would yep. do the same. Malleable. So if you could make a rock malleable, uh-huh. it would be much easier to do this. It, yeah, it could be. Yeah, that's that's. I just I look at it and go, I can't imagine a guy. Like, I'm going to shave a little bit off here, shave a little, like, then I'm going to put this, you know, 15-ton rock back on and check my fit and take it off again and just shave a bit more. Like, I don't understand, unless it's, unless you go the other route, it's like it's fully designed and mechanised and produced with a with a manufacturing rig similar to, you know, the vase, other stuff where you can just, I design it, I click go and it just carves it. Right. If There may be some other tech involved and this almost looks like, you look at the front of these things too, and there's all these weird scoop marks and indentations. It's almost like you know they were holding. It's almost you know you're pushing stuff up, or you can imagine some of these nubs that forms, like almost like a heat extrusion nub. Mm. It's complete speculation. I'll be very clear. Is there any type of like scientific basis for that type of theory? Is it sort of just there's, like a fun science fiction uh, approach? There is. Uh, it's a, there's a theory called geopolymer. It's a little different to what I'm talking That's what about. I thought this was geopolymer. Yeah. You know so. About that? Yeah, uh, told me you basically melt. You can go ahead. You melt stuff down and then reshape it. Yeah, similar to kind of what you're saying. Now. Like uh, you get a bag of this mix and you, you put some add water and shape it into thing, right? It's like concrete, but it's there's there's challenges and then there's some interesting evidence for it. But enough, I don't think that work that doesn't work for granite. I don't actually think that's the case in Egypt, but there is some interesting evidence at Tiwanaku potentially for some of that sort of technology being used. It is, a, I think, it, it's a legitimate investigation that needs to be. Looked at, but the problem is you, you do get a lot of these stones have fossils in them and all this stuff and they we've got quarries and but it's so you look at it and you go, how is that not just like they made it like Play-Doh and shoved a shape into it, you know? Is there um, any repetition in the polygonal blocks? No. That's another issue with the geopolymer theory. Each one is its own yeah. fucking shape. Same as the pyramids too. Same thing. There's not. A, they're not a uniform. No stone is uniform. No, that's right. Yeah, because it's how would you? Yeah, you'd need to make a mold for every stone. Which is think about. Well, look at the wall here, right? You, there's one mold and a billion. Bricks. Well, hold on. That means that every stone needs to be adjusted for the last stone that was placed. Yeah. That seems way more difficult than just mapping out the exact size of the stones. Yeah. Unless you design it up front, you just and it just prints it that way, or or or. A, Cuts it that and way. And this doesn't even account for the shafts and the rooms and everything that I'm also, getting like goosebumps. The yeah. shafts in the room also have to be cut out before they're placed. That's right? right. And you have to place those stones with some pretty significant precision for a four inch square shaft through the pyramid to run, you know, hundreds of feet like it does. Like right. It, perfectly you, square you, that a robot in the modern day could go can through go perfectly. Up. And, and it has to line up, right? Because, you know, you that, that precision has to be held from where it starts to where it ends across all those layers of masonry. Exactly. Because you're going in a diagonal, it's, like, it's horizontal courses. Right. So it's, it's, like ver- it's X and Y axes of squares getting, and Z, getting broken. Yeah, through. yeah, exactly. And with each block, there's a new calculation made for the next block. And you fuck up one, 
It's gone, right? I mean, I guess maybe they could chisel away as they're placing it. That's kind of what I'm thinking. Not chiseling, but like, I guess, whatever the machinery was at the time. Uh, Ah, the machinery's advanced enough, but still, if you have a different side, how could you have machinery advanced enough to create this, but not advanced enough to just make them uniform? Because if it was uniform, we'd go, okay, forget it. There's no way they did this with the stone and the chisel. The fact that it's not uniform is what leaves a little bit of wiggle room right. for a not super advanced society to create it just with tons of work. And time. Yeah. And fucking time. Yeah. But I, th- I think the more you dive into, like, what it would actually take, it's, it kind of gets a bit silly with some of the time stuff. I don't, yeah, I, I think just with oh, the primitive methodologies, it's like, yeah, something else was going on. Like, that, that's the thing. And we haven't done a lot of experiment. Like, we've never done, every time we've tried. What would we need to find? What, what is I, the, what I, is the what is it called the smoking gun? What yeah, is the smoking th- gun? Well, we need to find, either find some tools or some records or some documents that talk yeah. about that may close. But who knows if it, that stuff might have been found? And we it's have been taken. Of, it gets yeah, washed yeah, yeah. away. I've heard rumors of that sort of thing. We've we've have evidence of the results of advanced technology. We we yes. just don't have the advanced technology. Yeah, that's right. The evidence for the tools is in the objects themselves. Bro, the scoop thing and the yeah. core. Yeah, the, the tube drills and the, yes. So, you know what, the whole where are the tools argument, by the way, <laughs> not for nothing, that applies equally well you gotta explain. to the mainstream explanation for, for these saw cuts and these tubular drills, okay? Mm. you got to explain the tube drill okay. thing, talk. This is, you're not supposed to look at blocks from 4,500 years ago and find perfect cylind- uh, cylindrical carve-outs. Yeah. Grooves. Grooves. Yeah. I found them at the Met. There's a couple pieces at the Met yesterday. Oh, really? Well, yeah, there's a block in there with two tube drills. It's, hmm. it's pretty cool. Uh, oh, I was cool. like, oh, yeah, these are classic tube drills. Is that in tools here? It's uh, it's in tooling. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there is, there's, a, there's some categories of, of, of stonework, again, coming from the oldest parts of ancient Egypt, like mm-hmm. dynastic, like old kingdom. And these things there, so this is, this is a core from a tube drill. And if you go to the next picture, you'll see the actual, the hole that they leave. This has been, this has been split. Huh. Uh, right. So what happens is you have a a, a a tube drill, tube drill, whatever. Yeah. And it it's it cuts down. It creates this core, uh, and then you, then you you snap the core off, and you're left with this hole in the granite. Now, how they snap the core off? Well, you you get a chisel in there, you wedge it. I don't know. You wedge something in there, and you, uh, you, you just snap keep on moving back and forth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You snap it off. You can see where it snapped off, just at the bottom. Yeah. And so you see these in these old kingdom sites, and again into extremely hard stone, basalt, granite, granite diorite, blah blah blah, and. The, and they get quite large, right? That's one that's about nine wow. inches, eight, nine inches wow. in width. Mm. Um, and again, this one's, the block's been quarried. So Norm, this would just be a hole on its own until somebody came along and quarried the block. Mm-hmm. I think they looked for them for quarrying because, of, you know, it's like a hole, so they try and cut, they try and split the stone on the axis of the drill hole. And who would have quarried? Oh, anyone later on. Like it's, at some point it was Ramses II in the New Kingdom is quarrying stuff from the old pyramids at but, that point for thousands of years after that. But to do it like that, you would need some kind of tool, right? No, what, to, to quarry the block? Yeah, Split in that cylindrical fashion? Oh, no, no, what, no. To, yeah. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, you, go. Need, you need a tube drill to make this hole, but you see how the, the stone's been split down the axis of the, uh, of the okay. hole, right? Yeah. Yeah, so that's a very common quarrying technique that's still in use today, essentially. You carve little, like, divots into the, into the rock, then you stick wood in them and you yeah, wet and the wood. You and split it's, you like split, you're trying to split the stone because you want to take the finished surface. Right. That happens everywhere. You and, see that all over And don't some stones have a, just a natural property where they do split pretty cleanly? That's what they're trying to take advantage of. A lot of right. times it fails, sometimes it doesn't. Um, anyway, so you see the, these tube drills, thank you, they're, they're, uh, these, these, they have these cores, and we found a couple of these cores. Now, a guy named Flinders Petrie in the 1800s 
took one of these cores and analyzed it and looked at the grooves and he's like, you know what, this, is, this isn't, this is a spiral groove around this core. It's not like just, imagine how we do it today, you get this high speed drilling, spinning, 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 it yeah. takes forever to cut through granite yeah. or like a tile saw or whatever. It's not gonna leave a spiral groove. It's gonna be, you'll, you'll have these jagged. circular things. Well, it's gonna be a lot of circular lines as you very slowly grind down through the material. Mm. This thing actually penetrates the stone at like a one in 60 rate, which <laughs> what means that, mean? that for every, so if you take that spiral, that circular motion, you stretch it out straight. So for every 60 inches of horizontal travel, it's going an inch in vertical travel. Yeah, think of like a screw. Is, it's like, like a screw, right? Yeah. yeah, it's screwing into the granite. And we're seeing the so result. So a hollow screw, essentially. Yeah, it's like and a, that's where the core would yeah, exist. Yeah. And so Petrie, Petrie looks at this, he's like, what the fuck is this? It's like, a lot he, of pressure. Petrie was the first guy to apply like engineering principles from the industrial age to this stuff. It, this is a, it's a mind trip to me to think that it took us until the industrial age to even be able to put some of this stuff into a context that we yeah. can understand it. Yeah, isn't because that interesting? We didn't, we were only then starting to develop machining Because you don't even have the machinery you can explain if it. If you found this in the he, 1700s, you're like, no one's ever done this before, yeah, ever. You don't know what it is. You, you, you don't, don't, even know you what don't have the framework. Yeah, it's like taking a cell phone back to caveman. I mean, it's just trying to, we know. It's just a rock to him. Yeah, yeah we yeah, know what is, wireless networking and all yeah, that yeah, shit is yeah, like yeah, satellites. Yeah. That context you're missing, but we have the context for it now. And we couldn't do this today. Like, so Petrie said, well, shit, maybe they had two to three tons of pressure on the tube drill. And then Chris Dunn, the same guy I mentioned earlier, has, has analysed this core because it's in the Petrie Museum in London and they let people play with their toys, which is really nice of them. Uh, so he's analysed this and he's kind of furthered the work of Petrie to define this spiral groove that's on this thing. What's crazy about it is, and again, this may not have been a high-speed drill, right? might have been slowly turning, but think that, that, that penetration rate, that's 500 times greater than we can achieve with our mm. drills today, yeah. right? Our drills, these high-speed things, yeah, I mean, they, they, yeah. might go, they might go faster, but in terms of that penetration rate into the granite, this... this this rate is like 500 times right. greater than Whereas our modern machines, I guess, are going off like torque and friction, whereas this is going off just pure weight. Oh, it don't, we don't know. Right yeah, it could be ultrasonic. It could have some other mechanism what? of punching into the granite. And you see these things all over the place in ranging from about this big little tiny things to about nine inches big. Um, and it's and it's there's those and then there's circular saw cuts that seem to work in the same way where they're just eating away into this stone that we can't figure out. What about the scoops? Yeah, scoop marks in the quarry, um, same thing. So there's these, all these categories of keep tooling going. and, and, keep going, keep and going. evidence. I, I'm sure there are some pictures of the quarry in here as well. So in this long story to get back around to where are the tools, so the mainstream's explanation for these tubular drills and for these, um, uh, you know, saws and stuff, yeah, this is the scoop That's marks. That's fucking crazy. <laughs> they, they say, well, it was a copper bar or a copper tube and they rubbed it with sand and like a bow drill or they dragged it back and forth and they ground away with sand. And now it obviously doesn't match the tool marks or anything remotely close to what we see, but guess how many copper tubes or <laughs> copper bars they've found? None. Zero. So where are the tools for your exploration? <laughs> yeah, yeah. right. You say, where are my tools? Where are your tools? Uh, I mean, okay. it looks like a mini excavator. Yeah, yeah this, this is, and that's straight into granite. Like, that's at the quarry. That's granite. That's what I was wondering what yeah. stone is. That, that's that, fucking nuts. That's at the quarry in Aswan, where they have the, the 1,200-ton obelisk that's still attached to the bedrock. We got we to gotta get that one. I think what's so interesting about this is, like, this feels like a conspiracy that will be proven in our lifetime yeah. that, that will really shake our understanding of history. It, and it's really cool to learn about it. It seems like there's tons of evidence. 
that would at least show that there was more advanced technology. And maybe at bare minimum, we understand there was more advanced technology. Maybe yeah. bare minimum that. Yeah. And then we lost it, and then we developed our own, but there was something else going on. That bare minimum, everybody can get on board, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because we can acknowledge that you can't do these things with a stone and a chisel. It also theoretically turns government into doomsday preppers, which is kind of funny, and also probably necessary. Wait, what do government. you mean by that? Because if you're like, yo, these guys got wiped out by a comet or whatever, yeah, and there yeah, was yeah. no evidence of them left whatsoever, uh, yeah. we should prepare for such a scenario sure. to happen in our lifetimes. That is what it's, I think that's ultimately what's important about some of this work, really, is... There's a fundamental, so we grow, you know, what's the fundamental understanding we have of our civilization, our place in history? We all think that we went from cavemen to, you know, striped toothpaste and space shuttles in this 6,000-year period, like, yeah. which is what? It's how many? So, you know, 60 centuries, uh, 25 years a generation, like 240 generations essentially from Stone Man to today. Yep. And it's like, so it's it's as if we have this idea, like, well, this is what civilization is. This is a preordained path. This is how you do it. We don't need to worry about it. But I think if, if you had the same fundamental understanding in the same way we understand that, that, oh, no, it's a there's a cyclical thing going on here. We're just the latest revolution of the civilization wheel. There's a relationship to cataclysm. We've risen to great heights and we've knocked down in the past. I do think on the long term... That could change priorities, man. We might we might actually start trying to solve and putting a bit more resources behind trying to solve some of the bigger issues. The analogy that I've figured out that I want to use talking about that is is honestly is climate change. Like whether you agree with it or not, or, or whatever it means to you, it's that's a movement that's changed people's behaviour. It's it's in in a, in a generation or two. It's a fundamental thing that's entered our understanding of what it means to be a human. It affects our behaviour, how we interact with others and the world around us. And it's changed us. And I think that's the type of understanding that if it gets into our culture and into our, our what it means to be a modern human, then it might actually, we might stand a chance of, of changing our priorities, worrying a little less about you know, fighting with each other in the next election cycle and then yeah, humans are so, looking at the bigger picture. Uh, humans are so illogical, I don't know if it works, but if you're thinking <laughs> our we have an existential crisis, at any given point, you probably don't care as much about critical race theory or whatever little mm. government info, like, you know, these little things that we yeah. worry about. That's what I was kind of joking about, like, who cares how many genders there are yeah. if the human species, if all of Earth is at stake at some point, we don't know when. Yeah. We should prepare for that instead of worrying yeah. about this shit. Yep. Or, yeah, or, or you can make sense. Yeah. Or you no. go with the expanse and it's like maybe the universe is better off without us because we're just <laughs> warlike talking monkeys that are probably no good for anybody. You know, yeah. you can take two approaches to it. Yeah. But I think because the, lo the long-term solution is to get off the planets to spread out, right? I asked you about this before, but do you think drugs or any type of uh, mind-altering substances contributed to the creation of any of these? Ooh. Yeah, I'm pretty convinced of it, actually. Uh, there's hmm. lots of use for... Um, for particularly DMT uh, in, in the ancient world, I mean, you can't, the blue lotus flower is one that's represented in all the artwork. I mean, you literally see images of this, like a smoking pipe almost. It's like, and you're getting showered with knowledge, power and stability or life power and stability from the gods and some of those things. It looks to me like smoking pipes. Blue lotus flower is full of DMT. The, the acacia trees, that's got DMT in it. Um, you see, I think there's some of those visions in those altered states, some of that ge geometry and things are represented in some of the artwork. There's been mummies found with cocaine huh. from South America, like in the linen. From South America. South America, America. go figure. Yeah, How and there's then? some trade, right? <laughs> They're probably trading the They're trading stuff. cocaine from South America? Potentially. There's definitely been mummies found with uh Wait, with wait, wait. Cocoa. Mummies in Egypt? Yes. Found with South American coke? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I don't know. It, yeah, I, <laughs> don't explain it. But does no that's, one else want to explain this? Why are you the only one that's like, we got to talk about the mummies doing blow? Like, that's crazy. They've got, bo- they got boomerangs in ancient Egypt that the name for them literally translates to foreigner's weapon. Like, wow. they're in the museum. You can that's go not as cool as coke, as coke being in the, exported. This, this is true. Yeah, but he's when Australian, they find the coke? you know. I'm not sure on the details. You'd have to look at If you look up mummy cocaine, you'd probably find the details. But yeah, let's look that up, please. <laughs> Can I ask you while he looks that up, what are your thoughts on climate change? Because this could theoretically, uh, a lot of what we believe is climate change could just be, you know, younger dryest type things. I think that if you want to understand climate change, you probably need to widen your scope of view a little bit and look back a little bit further than the last century or two is what I would say because... Uh, in a lot of ways, to me, the modern climate change discussion is, and to borrow an, an analogy from uh, my friend George Howard, it's like we're, we're sitting in a car arguing about the radio station and what channel we're listening to, but we're ignoring the fact that the car's sitting on a railway track and the train's coming. Hmm. We've got bigger problems. I, I think, and if look, if we burn... Wait a minute, what it, do you know? You know some shit. Well... Is there a comet coming? No, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It, it, on a long enough time scale, 100%. It depends on what that time scale I is. I think he's just saying we are in this cosmic shooting gallery. Yeah, it's only a matter right. of time. Yeah. And it's, look, if we burnt every last ounce of fossil fuel and the end result of that was that we averted the next cosmic impact, then karmic debt paid. Yeah. Like there's nothing like the climate change that is a result and the pollution of a cosmic impact like that. Yeah. Like, you want nuclear winter? Like, that's what it is. Like, it blocks out the sun for, for hundreds of years. Everything on Earth dies. You know, you can't, you can't breathe outside. Like, the half of the world is on fire kind of thing. Like, that's, it's apocalyptic. And the words, that's what it means. And like that's, that's not speculative. Like, no, I remember, happened. yeah, you were telling me that, like, there's, there's a piece of the bedrock that you could see that was on fire or the remnants of the fire and yeah, this exists throughout the earth there's like a black mat layer at that at that at that um at that younger driest boundary layer in the soil in the strata there is a, a an organics like a soot layer almost where it's in the, the the calculations of something like 9% of the organic matter on the planet was on fire which is it, at, one an, at one time. It's in this astronomical so it's amount of... It's just an ash layer yeah. in the bedrock. It's literally, yes, it's fallout <laughs> from the fires. Yeah. Insane. It was either flood or fire. Like you look at every ancient culture, it's flood or fire. Like it's yeah. either cataclysmic fire or it's world-ending floods. Like, Kind of makes I, you feel lucky, huh? Yeah, we're, well, that's the thing, you know, we've... People complain about it, but honestly, our climate has been the, the most stable. It's, we've had the best climate in the last sort of 10,000 years that we've had for almost 200,000 years, like yeah. on the planet. So that's... So when you talk about modern climate change and we're dries. arguing about yeah. CO2 yeah. and like a tenth of a degree, I don't care. I mean, yeah. It's fine. Look, that's not to say pollution, bad. Treat the planet good, yes. Like let's clean up our act, do all that stuff. But we have bigger the problems. reality is also CO2 is not a problem. More CO2 is good. The, pl- the planet nearly went into plant death uh, in the little ice age. The, warmth is great. We've been far warmer and had far more CO2 in our history on this planet and supported hmm. megafauna and megaflora, the likes of which don't exist at all anymore. It's when it gets cold. Cold is the problem. Cold, small cold periods associated. Guess when the, 
the Black Plague was. It or was basically a cold like, period. All of the d- downturns. Oh, because the heat history. is going to burn off a lot of the bacteria. Well, just you just cold periods are associated with famine and and less plant growth, which uh, means yeah, you, you now your immune systems are weaker. You don't eat as much, and you yeah, all the stuff bacteria happens. Bacteria can't grow in cold, and then we're very much like bacteria in that way. <laughs> yeah, pretty like, much. Oh, we're the ones. Oh, that, I was thinking it was going to get burned off in the heat, yeah. but you're right. That makes sense. And also just the weakness of the body. If there's no like famine, yeah, you winters get, are just rough in general. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, cold's bad, and and cold is worse than getting warmer. Like this whole planet's on fire is nonsense. Like, it's fine. In fact, the planet is greening. Like we now, you've seen the evidence for this. Like the planet's actually greening due to the slight increase in CO two. CO two is not a pollutant. We shouldn't be demonizing CO two. It's fine. Uh, like I said, in the past, we've had many times the number of CO two that we've had. We have today. It's not a big deal. We've never had a runaway climate. Uh, the climate on this planet is very stable. Even when things like cosmic impacts happen, it recovers. Like, it's a and, very stable system. And just to clarify so you don't get yelled at, that's not to say there's no problem with pollution. There are, oh, yeah. yeah what, there are other problems, yeah. but it's not yeah. necessarily what we think it is. I hate having to preface that all the time by saying, well, if you somehow question any of the narrative, it's like, you're pro-pollution. Like, of course, pollution's bad. Let's yeah, clean up yeah, our yeah. act. Let's keep yes. the oceans clean. Two things Let's can do be all true. these things. Yeah. yeah. Let's do. Let's behave like responsible stewards of the planet. Yeah. But but if polluting was making it colder, let's not tax everyone. That's a bigger it. problem. That's a bigger issue. Yeah. Yes, I think it'd be a bigger problem too. Yeah. And it would be. It, it cold is bad. Cold you, is bad. What'd you find here? So Mark? this is a German toxicologist basically did a study on the hair of uh, a, a priestess that they uncovered. Cocoa. And they, yeah, they basically found traces of nicotine and cocaine, which had been considered ah. to be cocoa and tobacco plants native to the Americas that were not thought of to been brought to Africa until after Columbus's voyage. Wow. <laughs> well, I, I do think the dynastic, we don't give the dynastic Egyptians enough credit for what they did. I think they were probably much wider ranging. I mean, they had bigger boats than the Vikings, and we know the Vikings got around a lot of do places. Do we know that they, I thought we haven't found any boats from the we Egyptians. We found plenty of boats. They're mostly river boats, though. They wouldn't last a sea voyage. That said, you can go to places like Hapshipshet's Temple, and there's literally scenes on the wall of ocean voyages where there's fleets of ships, they're, they're even drawn underneath this, like, it's like, uh, ocean creatures that you don't get in the Nile. Like they talk about an expedition to what they called Buntland uh, to go and get stuff at one point. Um, there's a place in Australia called the Gosford Glyphs that I happen to think is probably a, a result of a shipwrecked, um, like Ptolemaic period Egyptian uh, crew. There's these glyphs in this place in Australia in this little cave. They think it's a hoax. It's not a hoax. Wait, go, um, go to this Gosford Glyphs. Yeah, Gosford Glyphs. Yeah, G O S F O I D Glyphs. And, and you're saying yeah. that the Egyptians reached Australia. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's on their maps too. They literally show like horses in America and they and show... this is dynastic the, Egyptians. Yeah, yeah. I, Not, Ptolemaic period, like late period, Greek-Roman period. It, that's the matches the glyphs that they did. They, they look poor because the story that they actually, that it tells we had some of it translated was the scribe and the captain died. I think one of them died of a snake bite. They were shipwrecked. So... This is the results, the carving are the results of a guy that could probably read Egyptian but wasn't a stone carver. It's like you can probably read and write on paper, but try carving it into mm. sandstone to see how far you get. But yeah, yeah, yeah. anyway, so they've known about this, literally the thumbnail for my video about it. Um, they've known about this since the 1970s. Uh, the modern um, dogma on it, I guess, is say, well, it's a hoax. Some guy came back from the war and was like, oh, I was in Egypt, so I'm just going to draw some random collection of hieroglyphs on the wall. Mm. Turns out that's not the case. It actually tells a story. It's coherent. What's even crazier is there are symbols on this wall that we didn't decipher until like the year 2000 
So they, did, they weren't in Egyptian dictionaries until the year 2000, wow. yet they're still on this wall and been there since the 1970s and they still want to call it a fake. I'm like, what's so hard to believe? These guys were, were seafarers. Maybe they just got a, a whole bunch of storms blew them across halfway across the Pacific and they got shipwrecked down here. They got looked after by the local Aboriginals. They lived their life. They buried their dead and they wrote something about it on this wall. Do we know what the story says? Yeah, it's, it says that it was the part of it, not all of it's been decoded, but the part of it, it says that, yeah, it was exactly that. It was a crew that got shipwrecked here. Uh-huh. Uh, one of them died from a snake bite. The captain and the scribe um, died. And then the locals were looking after them, like the Aboriginals uh, would look after people. Like It happened a lot with the, the white explorers too I mean, later if you on. you could make a pyramid... You can make a boat. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, like, once you subscribe but, to this idea... What's that? Sorry, this would be dynastic it Egyptians. Is dynastic and we're not sure the dynastic Egyptians built the pyramids. Right. Uh, they did yeah, a lot yeah. of them. Look, dynastic Egypt did, did a, a lot of amazing stuff. They were, particularly by the end, like the New Kingdom and the Ptolemaic period, they had a lot of capability. They were tremendously wealthy. They built, like, Karnak Temple, short sandstone, but it's spectacular. Like, can they, we get they that built up? some amazing stuff. Karnak Temple? K-A-R-N-A-K. Um, you know, they, they embarked on... Ma- they were a massive civilization that lasted a long time. I don't want to undersell what they were capable of. Yeah, we're just comparing um, them to the goat. Well, yeah, there's just... there's As capable as they were and as magnificent as they were, there's just a few things that are outside oh, of their wow. technological capability. And oh, wow. that one top left there is... Um, that red one, top, yeah, top left there. Yeah. This one? Yeah, that's one of them, yeah. So this is like these giant sandstone columns. That's beautiful. And that's all dynastic work. A lot of all those rams, those dynastic work, these big pylons and, and walls are dynastic. They're huge structures. Like the Karnak Temple and Luxor Temple, they're amazing. I think they combine, like a lot of, a lot of these structures combine both elements. It's like they, they built a temple on top of an older temple or an older structure that I think does stretch back to you know, these earlier times with these granite artefacts, the big obelisks and the single-piece statues made from granite that show all these signs of precision. Like, I'm I'm pretty careful about what I define as being this is definitely older. And, you know, to me it, it has to, it's, it's a couple things. It has to show the machining marks, right, okay. from from these advanced tools that we, we know weren't around or we, we can't explain. They have to show precision, Symmetry, like anything, and we have to analyze it to look at that. You can't just look at it and go, I think that shows all this precision. Like, we need to do more work analyzing these things to define that. And there's a bunch of objects we've done some of that for. And then I also think that anything over, say, 300 to 400 tons, mm. I think in, once you get into those realms, I think it's, I don't think you're moving those as a, as a Bronze Age civilization. No, certainly no one's demonstrated Why is that? Here. Why is that weight? Well, because, because, and it, it, and it fluctuates somewhere in there, I think, because it's not like a, when you, you, as mass goes up, it's not like a linear difficulty scale that goes up with it, right? When you get into really large weights, material strength becomes an issue. You, you can't be using wood, you know, you've, you, it's like this, the difficulty level ramps up. Yeah. And so particularly once you get to like a thousand tons and more, but there's plenty of stuff that I'd, I'd say, I think your upper limit's probably three to 350 tons. You, you can, people have demonstrated, hey, we can move at 50 tons or 100 tons. Right. I think, and I think they could totally do it. But when you start scaling up to these big numbers, the obelisks and stuff, and particularly in the environments they are, like that, that obelisk in the quarry, man, it's yeah. 1,200 tons. What's that called? It's Aswan Quarry, A-S-W-A-N. I have a picture of it in my directory, but you can look it up. Aswan Quarry, an obelisk. And it, it's 1,200 tons. It's made from granite. It's in a granite quarry. It's literally in a granite mountain on an angle that 
there's no room to move this thing, but somehow they carved it out and they, you know what, we're gonna pick this thing up, lift it up 30 feet, and then move it across this rocky mountainous environment and somehow transport it somewhere. Wow. So this was an obelisk that was never completed. It was never completed, right. It's it's. Uh, and how do we know it was an obelisk and not just some other type of... It's shaped like an obelisk. Uh, it literally a has pointed a pointy top? end, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's roughed out. Like, they would often do this. They they would almost, like, leave a, a sacrificial layer of stone around the outside of stuff for shipping. And right. And then they would finish stuff on uh, the side. interesting, then they finish it. That's really Yeah, cool. they never detached it from the bedrock. I mean, so it's still attached to the bedrock. There, there's... Stones of this size in Baalbek and Lebanon. And this too. is similar to the present obelisks that we see that are still erected. This is way bigger. <laughs> oh, this is way bigger. Yeah, some of the, the other, I think the biggest other obelisks might be 400, 500 tons, something like that. But those are still solid still pieces of. Single piece of granite standing. Oh, wow. That we know. Well, and there's, there's rumors in history of an old kingdom obelisk at a site called uh, Abu Ghraib. We know, and, and actually, that it is acknowledged it's not a pyramid. It looks like a pyramid. It's actually the base for what would have been a massive obelisk. Uh, but that all, it's all gone. They just think it's been quarried and yeah, of course. Up, so. Now the hieroglyphs that we all know now from Egypt, you know, of like the guy standing, are any of those? Do they tell a story? Yeah, of what how does that mean? These pyramids could have been made. Like, what is that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Did they tell a story of how the pyramids could be made? Were they made by the dynastic Egyptians? There's very little actually about the pyramids. Uh, that's the funny thing. There's no depictions or scenes that really show them ever building. Those pyramids. There Which, are there are depictions in the tombs of the nobles of them showing them making mud bricks. Because after those stone pyramids, you gotta remember, like that's one of the crazy things about those stone pyramids, is that they're the first pyramids ever made. Like it went step pyramid straight to like, what was it? Um uh my doom, and then the bent pyramid, red pyramid, great pyramid. Second pyramid, third pyramid. Like, they're the first pyramids. These are the most precise giant structures. After that, they kept making pyramids according they just got to the shittier official. and shittier. It just, well, they're all made from mud brick. Like, yeah. little point. mud bricks, and they're all eroding. But yeah. they, they do talk about building those. They don't really talk about building any of the pyramids. And in fact, there's a, there's a, there's a little tomb around, at Giza. there's an interest. We like to take people there and show them the inscription. It says, This guy was the overseer of the pyramid city. He, it, he didn't say, it, what, it's very careful grammar. It says uh, he wasn't the overseer of like the pyramid the, builders. The it was the pyramid, the pyramid city. It was the city that the, sprung up around the pyramids. As if the city was, or the pyramids were already well, there. It's, it's as if the pyramids were already there. He was the overseer of the land. Oh. Yeah. And that would also support your theory. If there's no, they, there's hieroglyphics, but none of them building the most impressive thing theoretically they've ever built. Yeah. They have hieroglyphics and building a less impressive one, though. That's right. So, and that's typically what gets you. So, you see the same thing. There's a, there's a for, for example, there's a depiction of of them uh, moving a statue, a, a big statue. It showed up briefly earlier, and it's like, well, see, this is how they move the big statues. It's like, wait on, this this depiction is of a statue that we know part of it still exists. It weighed about 56 tons. There's 180 guys here, and that statue's made of calcite. It's not made of granite. That's you can't use that to explain how they might have moved a thousand ton object. You know, you can you can move a fifty six ton object with a bunch of guys dragging it on a sled. Mm. Good luck trying to do that with a thousand tons. Yeah. Um, and so it's like that's well, couldn't they have just gotten more guys? Is that possible? If they, <laughs> just, if they got a city of men, you would just you would no. I, I don't I don't think not with a thousand tons. You just the frictional coefficient you'd have to overcome. Uh, it's like yeah, you just dig it into the ground. You, your wooden sled that you're sitting on this thing is going to explode. They didn't have access to the wheel, according to them. Like they, there's no depictions of them using the wheel back then. So it's like, and then you've got to get it across places like this, where it's right. like literally mountains. There's. A lot of this stuff, they, and I think they use the Nile because Aswan's on the Nile, but there's 
tons of granite artifacts that that aren't like rose granite from Aswan. They're like a black granite or a diorite and there's these other quarries that are way out in the eastern desert, like nowhere near the river. You, you're talking hundreds and hundreds of miles across mountains and valleys and like it's a whole other logistical issue. It's also possible that there were like other river systems that existed back then. Maybe. There's, yeah, there's not a lot of evidence for it uh, in terms of you, you sort of see something there, but yeah, the Nile's been there for a while. Yeah, I saw one video, it was a random video on YouTube about them floating the the blocks up the Nile, not yeah. on boats itself. Bladders and things. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that, yeah, I mean, even that is just really tricky, but that makes more sense than loading it onto some, like, rickety little ship and having that hopefully not capsize. Yeah. You could, we can, it's an exercise I want to do, particularly at the quarry, they do say, well, see this area here, this is the harbor where they loaded these ships. I'm like, we have examples. We briefly it came up here, there's the Russian Thunderstone. So it's yeah. a giant 1,500-ton stone they moved in like the 1800s yeah. from Finland to Russia. Part of that was across water. And they had to make a huge barge to put this thing on, massive. And then they had to, they had to yeah. tie up warships on either side of it to keep it balanced, this massive thing. And you're talking about this harbour that's like two times the width of that obelisk and you say, you're going to put a ship in there? Can you even get a ship that's going to displace enough water to take 1,200 tonnes and, and have its centre of gravity in the right place where it doesn't just go... Yeah, you know, which is probably what would happen if you tried. I just don't yeah. think you could fit any ship in there that would be even close to, yeah. to big enough or Sorry, stable. Can enough. we take like two minutes so I, I could pee? Listen, <laughs> what? Let's just discredit everything that you've just said. Okay. Do you believe in giants? Uh, I think there's a lot of evidence for it. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I look. I and I have, I've had this discussion with Hugh Newman, who's big into it, and uh, yeah. I'm like, man, show me a one bone. I mean, show me one bone, you know. Didn't they find some in America? Wouldn't they, they find these like... Lots of reports of that, but there's no bone. Like, I honestly, oh. there's nothing that you can go see. Now, there's some legitimate stuff involved with the... I've since learned, since I said that to him, and he was like, oh, actually. But so the Smithsonian has admitted to... There is some documents where they talk about having them. They say they don't have them anymore. I... I, I don't, it, it, what happened was it's this, you know, divine uh, precedence of the human species. So we had this attitude in Victorian eras where we were the superior version of humans. Like there's no one above us. So when we found evidence for bigger, stronger humans, there was some motives to try and cover that shit up. So I think that might be at the origin of some of these stories. Now that's, that attitude doesn't really exist anymore. So I'm like, who cares if we find giant bones? Like it would just, we'd add it in. We have Gigantopithecus. Like we would just add it to our fossil species, to, in my opinion. Sorry, how big are we talking? Well, what's Gigantopithecus? Just like uh, one of the previous hominids. It's like a Homo Gigantopithecus. It's like one of the like a, one of our cousins uh, in the like in the Homo series, like Homo species. Oh. Yeah, like a Neanderthal. But there's Gigantopithecus, um, and he was you know ten feet to like giant, massive walking. Monkeys like these things. Oh, just a monkey that walked on. Yeah, trying to get into this blackie is like three meters tall. Yeah, like like an ancestor, you know, we'd probably add in a giant to like our species somehow. I don't think it'd be a huge a huge deal. But uh, there what seems we, to be plenty of evidence for it. Put it that uh, way. What, were you, what did you just say, Akash? What were you how just big, asking? How big, how big were they? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'll, you know, nine, ten feet or three meters, something like that is, is I think... The realms of possibility. Some people go a lot further than that with some of the giant talk. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Now, are the giants the same as those like weird kind of like conic shaped skulls you find on some of the 
The, yeah, the uh, the elongated skulls. Yeah. Is that no. from the way that they're wrapped or is so, that? So there is some, so that is skull binding is the term. Is uh, like get their babies and do skull binding. There is, that is a thing. That does happen, but that doesn't explain all the elongated skulls we've seen because even with skull binding, you're not changing the volume of the brain, right? It's just squished into a different shape. Yeah. But we found some examples of elongated skulls that have bigger brain pans, like bigger volumes of of of, uh, of brain. So it's not a result of skull binding, uh, of of cranial binding. Whoa. So there's this does seem to be some some other version of you know humans. That could have been involved. I actually do think that, you know, I don't. It doesn't necessarily. If I, if you go with the whole ancient civilization thing, I don't, I'm not. It doesn't have to be Homo sapien. Like I, I think there's. We've found the Denisovan. Like this whole. We. This is an emerging area of complexity for us now. There's all these other species of of hum, of hominids that are coming out. You've the, the Denisovans, the Denisovans. No. So there's a whole new species that they've um, that they found basically from a pinky bone. By the way. Uh, not a lot more evidence for it than that, but there's a whole other subspecies of essentially human you know, cousins or hominids, yeah, Dennis, from the Denisova cave, uh, that we don't know much about. And like the, we know that, for example, the Neanderthals had bigger brains than us. Yeah, we don't know much about them. Like they're, you know, they're built like brick shit houses compared to us. They could have lived for much longer than us. They could have communicated in other methods. Like I think if you go back far enough in time, it may not have just been us building stuff. Some of these other species could have been responsible too. Wait, Neanderthals yeah. had bigger brains, yeah. were stronger, oh, just yeah. better versions of us. Yeah, pretty much. How'd they die out? I thought we killed them. Yeah, I think, well, that's the that's the mainstream story. I think fire was one of the things we had that was really effective. I read this in Sapiens and obviously I forgot it. Yeah. And then also communication yeah. and like uh. Uh, the tribe and the herd that we have. Through communication, and apparently gossip is something that like really binds humans oh, together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, our language. Oh, so we could so organize a little better yeah. than the Neanderthals. Neanderthals were a little bit more ape-like. Yeah, they don't. They didn't have the vocal uh, box, like the, the the construction. We don't think that they could talk. Mm. Uh, but we don't really know. And who knows if there was other methods of communication with other versions of these species? We don't know. But yeah, that's. That's what they say. We hunted them out with group tactics, but I mean, we couldn't. You wouldn't take one of these dudes on one on one. I mean, it's you know, bone densities like broom handles to, or broomsticks to axe handles. Like they, oh, they wow. were, they they were on a scale in the same way. Like a chimpanzee, the powder weight is so much superior to us. That's what the Neanderthals were like compared to us as well. Like they're just their muscle attachment points and their bone density, and their geometry was far superior to ours. They, they'd rip your head right off. If they wanted to. <laughs> so you think that the pyramids could have been built by a, what do you call them, a, hum- a hominid? Hominid, some, potentially some other hominid species. I, I a think human you ancestor. To, potentially, yeah. Yeah, that's what I was thinking about giant humans. I was like, could it just be Neanderthals? Mm, but I guess they're be. not that much taller. Well, there's a few things. So the, the, the rumors of giants is a thing. Like you have a lot of that in, in, in parts of the UK. You get a lot of that in, in Native, Native American legends and the mound builders and, and all of that. And That's even the biblical history, right? Biblical history with giants. Yeah, Patagonia. There's, there's, there is... What makes someone a giant? That's the thing. Like yeah. someone could get lost in translation. Potentially. I mean, I, I'm it's, sure. it's a relative term. It's inherently relative. Yeah. Like someone being a giant just means like they're bigger than most people I see. Yeah. Exactly. So if you're part of a tribe, everybody's around like four and a half feet, and then you go to like the Sudan, you see somebody six six, you're like, these motherfuckers are giants. Yeah. Right? In the yeah. same way that like a cyclops might have been some guy who got his eye fucking poked out, and all of a sudden he's these one-eyed people, yada, yada, yada. So yeah. I, 
it was it, it is they do describe it if you go it's not just individuals either it is actually like a a group of people like there was they're described as a type of people in a lot of these myths and legends and stories and depictions it's yeah it is a bit it's not yeah I understand do you have individuals that are, that are potentially giants but no, they I'm do describe like it there's like certain culturals there's certain yeah, cultures yeah. they're just taller than others and For certain sure. that are shorter to this day yeah so would right. we describe them as giants now Don't maybe know. not but yeah and obviously things are going to get exaggerated through time. Sorry, this is not your giant theory, but I was going over your stuff, and you have an interesting theory on aliens. Ah, okay. We want to go. Um, well, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't invoke aliens for any of the ancient civilization stuff, but I'm, I'm like, pretty convinced. I mean, I think it's a mathematical certainty that other life exists in the universe. Like, but you said it was humans that have left the planet, correct? Oh, you're, you're. Did on I this say one? this? <laughs> is this on the concrete podcast? Um, yeah. It's. Yeah, possible. Well, this, so this is, and there's there's some other people. That, it's an interesting theory. I wouldn't say it's my theory, but yeah, it is. There, there it is possible. You oh, analyze some of the historical uh, accounts. Yeah, that it, there may have been an exodus, and some of this may have even been depicted in some of the Egyptian temples and in stories. Uh, that that it could be taken in that light. That yes, there may have been a wow. branch of humanity in the past that left. So if would that having, be the first? Oh yeah, okay, go go go. <laughs> if we're having fun, yeah. pre Younger Dryas, yeah, yeah. some humans could have escaped Earth. Yep, and that's why alien civilization or technology, alien technology, is so much more advanced. It's just these humans from pre Younger Dryas that built the pyramids who got the fuck out, and now we started over. We're so just they have the this massive head start. Yeah, yeah, we just the guys who left and had to start over, and they're out. They have all their technology. Mm, think about it like this: knowledge. They saw the fireball coming. Yeah, and they're like, "Well, no part of this. We're going. We, we're going to yeah. f out of here. And maybe we'll come back when it, the weather's nice again." That's the crazy know. part. Is only some of them made it off too. Yeah, the rest of them just had to wear that shit. Yeah, they did. Yes, <laughs> fuck. Yeah, you want to win the lottery in that case? It's like, yeah. yeah. All right, is your what's your social security number? <laughs> you think yeah, that's, that's the obsession with uh, space travel now? You think that Elon and some of these guys they know that it's only a matter of time before a comet comes, and they just want to be ready to be out there. I, you know, uh, Elon is interesting in that he does seem to have this awareness of these ice ages and cataclysms and stuff. And I'm sure, look, we, we're getting better at it. Like, we are. We did the, the DART mission recently, you see that, where we, we fired off a probe and actually tried to deflect like a... a, a oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah, we yeah. just moved it like a 15th of a degree or whatever and and enough to think, all right, theoretically we could probably do something about this. So we're starting to put some resources towards it. People do understand it. Uh, back when there was Space Force and Colonel Matt Lomai was running it, um, you know, he was going to get Randall Carson in to talk to those guys about catastrophism. So I, I'm sure people are looking at it, yeah. But And that's the, I guess that's the long-term goal for some of the space guys. I don't know. I, don't I mean, mean, shit, that makes yeah. sense. If it happens this regularly and it's this catastrophic, why would we not, you know, put some resources yeah. toward it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just, the whole alien thing, though, it's, it's like I don't think we need it to justify the stuff in the past. You know, what Bob Lazar said on Rogan was interesting. One of the things he said was, well, one of the aircraft came from an archaeological dig. So this may, it's possible this stuff's been going on for a long time. I don't see why not. It's, you know, there's, it's an awful lot of space and time out there, you know, for that overlap to happen. We, we, we kind of think of things in our long term is the span of a human life. It's not mm-hmm. very... And, you know, in terms of the rest of the universe, it's nothing. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, you, you've got a... It's a blink. Billions of years and almost infinite distances and to have two civilizations kind of peak and cross over and, and match each other is is uh it would be a it would be a coincidence. But mathematically it's almost certain that life exists, right? The the Kepler missions when they, they did that and they started to look at 
like where, where they found planets in in the Goldilocks zone around stars. They started to analyze the shadows in front of stars. And they could determine like the the distance of some of these planets, and they thought they wouldn't find them very much. But then they just the, ex- they the numbers them. went up exponentially. It's like planets are in Goldilocks zones everywhere. So and if you could explain the Goldilocks zone, well, it's it's the distance where a planet's orbiting like a like a, a habitable solar system with a sun that works for us, and you're in basically a zone where liquid water can exist. Yeah. Mm. Right, because you're either too hot and it boils off, or you're too cold and it's just Freezes. rock hard. And yeah. so there's a little Goldilocks zone, like where Earth is, where you have liquid water, and everything we know about life is, you know, requires that as a basis for it, and then whatever else takes place to to start life and evolution. And I mean, if they find one skerrick of bacteria or something on Mars, or or even something else in this Titan, for example, in this solar system, I mean, that's that's case closed. If you find life in more than one astral one body in one solar system, it's everywhere. Forget it. It's got to be everywhere. So, are you interested in Antarctica at all in terms yeah. of uh, like geological research and pyramids and things like that? I know that there's a big like looming conspiracy yeah. regarding Antarctica where you know people can't go and visit. There's, it's super restricted and cut off, and it's blocked on Google Maps and a lot of places. So I'm curious if you have you, thoughts on that. You can go to and if you want to go skiing in Antarctica or go climb mountains, you can. There's like a summer camp. You can fly down there and, and do that stuff. It just costs a fortune. Uh, I am interested in it, and I do think that it's. A, that's actually a potential zone for investigation for a remnant of, of if there was anything left of, say, a builder culture. I think it, it, Antarctica is one of those places we should look. We know parts of Antarctica have had ice on them for a very long time, like a million years. But there's also some weird shit that comes down from, like, ancient maps. You heard this? Like, there's... It's one of these evidences. It's like this fragment of advanced knowledge. We talked about longitude earlier, right? There are, there are ancient maps that were made, like the Piri Reis map's a good example, made by a Turkish admiral named Piri Reis in the 1500s. He drew it from a collection of older source maps that he got from like the Library of Alexandria that are now all lost to us. So we don't have the source maps, we have his map, which is a collection of other maps. But parts of it show both very accurate longitude and it also maps the coastline of Queen Maud's Land in Antarctica super accurately, like, and that today is under the ice. It's like a mile of ice or something. Mm. And this was confirmed by, like, the the US, like, uh, Air Force geological map group in the 1960s. There's a professor named um, Hapgood, John, um, was it John Hapgood? But, but uh, Charles Hapgood uh, worked with the, the, the US uh, Air Force and these guys to the topographical department to confirm, like, yeah, that's the explanation for this part of the map. It's the, it's the coastline of Antarctica and what's under the ice. And that map also shows like rivers and trees and things. So it's like there's little fragments that come down of like what the world may have looked very differently in the past. But I mean, just the idea it. that it's habitable 500 years ago seems pretty surprising to me. Well, I don't think it was 500 years ago. So so this is this is the thing. So Piri Reis was He was using maps from... He was using ancient uh, maps. Yeah. Yeah, that, that we don't... That may have been redrawn from other ancient maps. Uh, it's I like see. there's there's a couple other maps like Arontius, the Aronto Phineas, Arontius Phineas map. It's another one. It shows like... Uh, America and Antarctica and Australia and continents before they were ever technically discovered and they show very accurate longitude whereas the parts that are drawn by the sailors of the time are all over the place. The accuracy is horrible. So it looks like, and the pyramid shows this as well, we were solving some of these problems like longitude way back in the past and we get these little tidbits of information that get transmitted down through time. One's in architecture, another one seems to come through these ancient source, these ancient maps, which, again, they're all comprised of bits from older maps that are all gone now. So it's like, ah, this, this, we don't, it's like little tiny bits of information. Mm. 
But yeah. it all seems to point to like we had some pretty significant capability back in the day. And military power as well. That's the other thing that I'm very interested about. Like it seems like most of our society, a lot of the advancements come out of military where yep. we have these big wars and then we are able to, you know, sort of democratize all the te- technology into society and it gets dispersed. Mm. Is it? Do you find that these societies had advanced militaries in the same way? And these tools, I'm sure if they can build a you know, pyramid, they can also be used to cut off a bunch of people's heads. Potentially, yeah. I don't. I don't see any evidence for that. And Graham Hancock has a. He does. He does definitely think that that's this civilization may have functioned differently to ours and had different values and systems. Hmm. I don't know. I, I don't. I think if it's human, you know, I'll have a hard time thinking we get away from our nature. You know, yeah. right. And and our nature, to be honest, is is nature's nature. Like it's, <laughs> yeah. it's one of the reasons when you get like alien stuff, I'm like. Don't yell in the jungle, bro. Yeah, like we're yeah. in the jungle and we're transmitting the shit out there. Like, don't yeah. we? Sh- we should it's be not going to be careful. good. We're not going to be besties, yeah. dude. Look at look at any the top of the food chain in in air, sea, you know, uh, on the ground. What's it involved? It involves a lot of violence. We don't. You don't stand for competition. You you eradicate your competition. You you know you. It's it's nasty. Like nature's violent. What makes you think any other life out there is going to be benevolent? We aren't. Uh, we aren't, right? So these space yeah. programs that are just blasting radio signals, they're <laughs> sending like, capsules with you know depictions. Yeah, we're and peaceful. And this is yeah. us. Careful what comes back at you. you know, I don't know. It's just like yelling in the jungle. I'm not sure. I think if we we know the look at nature on this planet. Is all I'm saying, like at the top of the food chain, it's just, it's savage, and mm-hmm. we're a representation of that too in a lot of ways. Yeah, of course. Sorry. Ben, anything else before? We wrap this up. This has been amazing. Thank yeah. you. I have one. I had question. a lot of fun. Last question: Have you come across any piece of information or anything that made you question what you believe? Ooh, great. Uh, I, I've certainly come across stuff that's refined what I've what I've been thinking. Like it's changed my opinion on certain things, but I I can't say I've look. And my whole uh, perspective on this like ancient civilization that's lost with a high tech whatever. That's a great way of saying it. Is I, I think it's, I think it's, I still think it's the best explanation for the evidence that we have. I'm I'm willing to have my mind changed, and if and if at the end of the day, you know, getting to those answers and and investigating these topics means I'm proven wrong, I'm fine with that. I just I kind of want to get to the, the truth of it. it. Yeah, like I've learned stuff about different sites. I've learned things about the Serapium and some of the boxes and stuff that's changed my opinion on some of those here and there, but it's like it's more a refinement than anything else. I, I really do think that when you look at all these vectors, right, the, the, the scientific work, the, the human timeline, our own history, cataclysm, the stuff that's in all of the religious tales, the, the ancient maps, the, 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 the connection with these architecture and all of this advanced knowledge, then you look at the stonework and the evidence for high tech, I just think the best explanation for that when you put it all together, is this idea that our history is a bit longer and more complicated than we've thought it was. What that actually looks like, I don't know. Like, I, I don't really claim to know how the stuff was done and what it looked like. I'll speculate. But I still think it's the best It's the best explanation for what we're seeing. Mm. And again, but I'm willing to have my mind changed. Like, I, you know, I, for sure the dynastic Egyptians and other civilizations, they were, I'm not saying all of that's bullshit. They were there, they did stuff, they worked on stuff. They were great, they achieved a lot, but... You can't explain everything that we see in history mm. by them, the Inca or the dynasty. Something else is going on, and it's it's an interesting story. I'm I'm personally fascinated by it. I think it means something for us as a civilization if we can come around to this idea uh, with with this and with cataclysm. So, yeah, I, I 
I don't know. I think it's, I think it's uh, to me, it's endlessly fascinating, but it's, uh, I think it actually means something to us as a species if we can figure it out too. So. Do you think we do? We do figure it out. I'd love to say yes in my timeline. I, I've got some hope for the next generation of, I don't know what that shape, what shape that answer takes, you know. Is it the, when the academics say yes or the textbooks change? Because to some, to some degrees, like, the nature of the discourse has changed. Yep. Like, do we even need to have this in textbooks anymore? Well, I think a lot of people can evaluate the landscape and they can figure it out and make up their own mind. I, that said, I do have hope for the next generation because I've been contacted by a lot of students and people that will be the next generation of academia and, and the establishment and I think they're being forced to deal with guys like Graham Hancock and Shock and Boval, the stuff in the books and all of this evidence and I, that's why I'm really hopeful for things like what we did with the vase scan. It's a super nerdy technical topic but it's... I genuinely think it's game-changing. Like this is hard data you cannot refute and you, you, can, you cannot say... You, you literally have to go and prove that you can do this by hand. Right. I think, I think it shatters the whole primitive tools story, which in turn then has this domino effect on all the assumptions and what we think was going on in the ancient time. So mm. I'd like to say, yeah, I hope, I hope we figure it out. I hope we at least change our and open our mind because ultimately... We need to look at this stuff with an open mind. It, 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 we're going to learn things too. That's the other thing. 100%. We might actually learn stuff from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we might find out something about technology or something that we don't understand today. So, mm. um, yeah, ultimately that's what I hope. It's just like we open up our minds, we can investigate this stuff and uh, try and figure it out. Amazing. Awesome. Brother, thank you so much. Cheers, man. Everybody go so check out Uncharted X. This is Ben's YouTube channel. He has tons of pieces on there. You're doing interviews. You're doing like these in-depth pieces on certain sites. I've watched a bunch of them. They're great. Thank and, you. And uh, check out his episode, Rogan, and obviously all the other cool stuff he's got. You do tours as well, right? Yeah, yeah. So I love taking people to these places, going to Turkey in a couple of weeks here, uh, Egypt nice. Egypt later this year. Nice. It is good fun. Cosmic Summit's coming up too in June. Uh, we're doing a big conference round. Randall Carlson, Graham Hancock over in Asheville. Live streams available for that one. It'll be fun. Awesome. We have a lot of scientists for that one too. So Great. we're trying to bring it together. Awesome. Stoke, thank you so much for being here. Thank Cheers, you, man. Peace. Thanks.